Alright, welcome everybody to today's developer cast here on the Game Wisdom channel. As always, I am Josh Placer, and we have another great discussion regarding design with a member of the game industry. My guest tonight is the lead designer as well as the owner of Alderaan Games, who are currently making the title Path of Titans, which is a MMO-style game involving controlling dinosaurs. And he's here to talk about the game, and not only that, but the decision of the company to create their own platform slash launcher, as opposed to using something like Epic Games or Steam. So please welcome to the cast, Matt Castle. Hey, how's everyone going? Hey Matt, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm going good. How are you? I am doing great, busy as always, and we have a, I'm sure we'll have a very lively chat, because we had a whole lot of people join our Discord when we announced our little discussion for today. Yeah, I was, uh, we have a huge crossover of people who are interested in game development in our community, just because of how transparent we are, mm -hmm. so I figured that if we could send some people over, learn about some game design topics, or mm -hmm. even if you're a player, learn the decisions behind why something was done, right? Like, why mm -hmm. did the game developer do this or change this stat yeah. on this gun or something like that? Yep. And that's how you found me with uh, my stuff with Game Wisdom. Yeah. We're talking about design topics and things like that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and for people who don't know, uh, Matt is one of my Patreon supporters as well, and I already thanked him uh on our chat, but I also want to thank you here again. Thank you for your support, both with uh, your donation as well as being a huge fan of Game Wisdom. Thanks for creating all this free content for people. It's really, <laughs> you know, something special. You know, like mm -hmm. making a game used to be so much harder when oh, you yeah. actually had to go figure out this stuff for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. And one of the things I've done is trying to spread that information regarding what game design means. Because it's still, I think, considered like a mystic art to a lot of people these days. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, people like don't know why. Like, oh, the developers are stupid. Why did they do this? And there's actually like a really complicated reasoning behind why specifically things were done. And mm -hmm. some even because of monetization, right? Oh, yes. Um, I'm sure you've seen our cast with Ramin, where we've talked about free-to-play design and monetization elements. Yeah, I also saw a cast about, uh, I think it was mobile games, yep. and some of the predatory things they do with, you know, mm -hmm. microtransactions and anchors and things like that. Yeah. And uh, to all of your followers coming on the chat, welcome to our stream. Again, if you haven't checked out, we have a Discord and Patreon link down below. If you have any questions for Matt regarding the game, uh, feel free to get them in. We'll, we will try to get to them as we go forward. But we certainly have a lot to discuss here, not only about Path of Titans, but about the design, as well as a, the whole point of our cast, only about platform generation. So, uh, to begin with, Matt, since this is your first time on these casts, can you talk a little bit about your background and what is Path of Titans? So... I originally started making games, I think, in like primary school or something like that. I started um, making mods of games and things like that. I think uh, I was spending all my time just playing video games, and my dad was like, why are you spending all your time playing video games? You should be making them. And so I'm like, hmm, good idea. So I started doing that. I think I started out with Warcraft 3 maps and <laughs> mods of the armor series and things like that. And then I... Uh, 
I think I did a mod for Arma 3 for like five years called Breaking Point. It's like okay. a zombie survival kind of kind of mod. And then uh, I also created another dinosaur game called The Isle, which I worked on for a number of years. Okay. And now moving over to making Path of Titans uh, and my own platform. And uh, Path of Titans is born out of the... Uh, there's a tar- huge target audience of people who like playing as animals because it's just so different from mm-hmm. the generic you play like a first-person shooter kind of game. It's just something different because it, there's a small number of dinosaur games you know, that you can actually play that play as the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm i pretty sure I know the answer to this one, but I'm, I'm sure you probably have played a few like the Jurassic Park games that came out back in the day. Yeah, and I remember like Jurassic Park Operation Genesis mm-hmm. uh, on the original Xbox and all those games. And uh, people who like dinosaurs, really, they're <laughs> really particular. You know, they're like, this dinosaur's, you know, <laughs> f- finger like boned, like you know, first bone connecting to this joint on the finger. I think this is an accurate or something like that. And they're very vocal about, you know, accuracy and feedback and really passionate to where the reason why Path of Titans was to develop so quickly is there's a huge crossover between hmm. people like dinosaurs and people who draw art. So we have a lot of people who just draw dinosaurs because they like dinosaurs so much and they're prime candidates for joining our development team. Great. And you said you've been working on this for about two years now? So I've been doing Path of Titans since January uh, this year, actually. So it was publicly announced in February. Okay. And, you know, we've, we've got an estimated date of launch in February, around February. But it's it's uh, basically we're trying to do a MMO in a year, which is Ooh. crazy because they take five years to make. Oh, right? Yes. Right? So it's, you know, we're working magic to make everything happen and i think uh originally when i was young i think when i was 16 i was like into i want to make an mmo mmos are great and like three years later i realized how hard at making one was Mm -hmm. and my engine i was using a a a company called big world technology and they actually got bought out by world of tanks uh because Mm -hmm. their royalty to pay to the engine provider was uh more expensive than buying the whole company (laughs) Right, and then they dropped indie development as soon as they got bought. So I've had like a lot of projects fail and not be successful, and I've kind of learnt, you know, to go across. Like hmm, mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't start off with an MMO kind of game. Um. <laughs> that is actually very uh, funny because I just gave a talk about uh, the reality of game development the other night. And they say there are developers out there who think they can make an MMO in like one year and we compete with World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to compete with World of Warcraft, <laughs> but. I mean, MMOs use interchangeably. Like, we only plan currently to support around 200 players a server on launch. Okay. So, you know, it stretches the definition of an MMO, but there is some technology you can use to get that out there, but it's it's not easy, right? Like, if you're doing your first game, don't yeah. like, even multiplayer, people are like, oh, just add multiplayer. And it's <laughs> like, well, do you realize that you can't add multiplayer as a stretch goal? It actually, um, you actually have to rework the entire game mm-hmm. and all the design decisions you made that worked previously that just don't work anymore you know yeah i'm sure for my audience we've never talked about multiplayer being done in a weekend right <laughs> yeah yeah so i think multiplayer is like the amount of time you have to, to make your game just double it and then and you can possibly get multiplayer in mm-hmm so um, this was a question that was asked, but I think also we can bring it up here. What platforms is Path of Titans being aimed for? So 
right now we're taking the approach it's a, l a little bit of a weird approach but we're taking the it's on everything approach which <laughs> is windows mac linux ios android and you know we've got working on some console stuff but you know i can't, can't really talk about too much of that yet okay and you are yeah. i'm looking at your website now so you are planning or looking into cross-platform play is that right yeah so i i have a strong belief that um that you know a lot of people treat a platform launch as okay i launch on console first and then a year later i launch on some other platform and really what happens is when they launch on console or port to console they have to remake a lot of the game like for example controller support or a lot of the ui or design decisions they made for a certain platform just are incompatible with say another platform like mobile for example right mm -hmm. so what we take the approach is instead of you know paying a porting company a few hundred thousand to port our game a year after it comes out we're going to sign up to all the platforms at the beginning and design the game with all the platforms in mind from mm -hmm. the start mm -hmm. and you save a lot of redoing things and reworking mm -hmm. things and I, I really think that doing cross-platform play is really hard but i really think that the future <laughs> of multiplayer games is cross-platform play and being able to you know play on your pc and log out log in on your phone maybe on a train or something like that and yeah. continue where you left off i mean we heard a lot of big discussions when epic was uh, making cross-platform cross-platform play for fortnite and especially when they ran into some trouble with sony and they eventually got sony to change their mind on cross-platform play yeah so i think i'm trying to create an expectation that hey if you're multiplayer on multiple platforms you should be cross-platform multiplayer like there's mm -hmm. little to no reason why you shouldn't be kind of thing that that should be an expectation for gamers and that'll make it so much easier for other developers to become cross-platform because there's a lot of politics around all these platform providers that you have to jump through all these hoops you know they're like oh this yeah. platform doesn't like this other platform because they're competing and gonna jump through <laughs> all these hoops but if you know fortnite came in and set a standard this is how games are made i think that's what people should follow is like in that footsteps so i'm just trying to make it easier for other developers because it's actually hard because you know <laughs> um if you're exclusive to a, a platform they're gonna they're gonna give you free marketing right if you're on every platform you better do your own marketing right yeah. that's expensive Oh, yes. And as I'm sure you're finding out, you also have to make sure that your game is compatible for each platform as well. Yeah, so there's like writing compliant code and things like that and design decisions, you know, where you might have a player using a touchscreen and another player using a keyboard. How yep. does that balance work out? You know what I mean? And things mm -hmm. like that. How does it all work? Yep, definitely. So I'm looking at the site for Path of Titans. It looks very interesting. I guess the one thing that I'm kind of curious about, so like, what is like the general gameplay loop going to be for it? Okay, so there's, there's survival kind of games. I don't know, like Daisy and mm -hmm. Rust and things like that, where you're a human, you spawn in, and you can collect gear and stuff like that. Uh, there gets a point where it gets boring, where you've either done everything or something like that, and... Uh, I've, de I've developed similar survival game, dinosaur survival games previously, and the main feedback we got from people was, this is really cool, but it gets boring after a while, right? And the problem we're trying to solve is there's, like, interesting things for dinosaurs to do, right? Because if you're a dinosaur, you can eat, you can drink, you can survive, you can kill things, but we need a, 
things a little bit more interesting that we mm-hmm. want people grouping up, we want people doing quests, that kind of thing, because otherwise, you know, the gameplay is not interesting enough. Okay. But, uh, yeah, in terms of to talk more about a gameplay, you might start off as a smaller dinosaur and you get points for doing quests and you can grow and unlock new dinosaurs. And we're trying to set it up in a way where, you know, if you look at the, the screenshot of the... We've got a Sukumimus, like really... Uh, sorry, yeah. a, a Spinosaurus, really big guy in the back. Why doesn't everyone just play him? He's yeah. like the biggest, strongest guy or whatever it is. We're trying to create a gameplay where playing as a little guy might actually be more interesting like you could jump or you can hide behind things or (laughs) there's like a game like each dinosaur kind of has a different gameplay style so like you know a lot of people think hey every character in a game should be equal distribution of players we're thinking okay this one dinosaur five percent of people might only play this one but they really really love it because it's exactly how they like playing the game and that's kind of what we're trying to capture because yeah. I can see you can run into that problem like if the T-Rex is so cool everybody wants to be a T-Rex and yeah. nobody's going to care about the other ones and some people so one thing I ran into game design was people like creating artificial limits right mm-hmm. so they don't think they're game design through enough and they're like let's create an artificial limit as in only one person can be the T-Rex and well that's not fun for anybody right it's actually harder to design your game where you don't put a random limit in. For example, like if you have somebody logging out of the game too much, well, you can only log out once every four hours or something like that. Like That's kind of just like an artificial limit. How else could you solve that same problem in a more difficult way, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's very easy to jump to restrictions and that kind of stuff. So we want to design the game as much as we can without just being like, oh, only one person can play the big guy. And that's actually the challenge. Mm -hmm. And... One of the things that we see with a lot of games, especially something like uh, Monster Hunter, for instance, when you have like 14 different weapons, is that instead of trying to nerf, you know, everybody likes one weapon, so we're going to nerf it, they went for the route of, we're just make essentially 14 different paths of playing the game, and each one, you know, somebody may like one or the other, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, so having, like... You know, World of Warcraft spent like 10 years plus balancing their game and it's still not balanced yet, right? Yeah. So I feel like an indie team trying to solve that problem <laughs> is not as possible as we think it is. I think the solution is this is a gameplay style, you know, like they're all fun, they're all cool in their unique way. One's not like massively overpowered or anything, but, you know, they're balanced that kind of way versus a we bump this dinosaur's attack up by one, you know, and it's like, well, does that make a difference or is, you know, the game any better for that and also if you balance something someone's like i used to really like playing this dinosaur and now you've nerfed it now i'm pissed off and yeah you've ruined this dinosaur can't you go back to this and each person wants to have the game different and mm-hmm. one of the primary things of path of titans i haven't mentioned is we're not we, I, i'm not i don't really think of it as building a game i think of it as I'm building a toolkit for you to make your own dinosaur experience, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's why we're all on all the platforms. That's why we have modding support. That's why we have cross-platform play is uh, you might have someone who wants to host a realism server, for example, and they might change the stats on this dinosaur only on that server, and mm-hmm. they can do that. So it's more like a tool to build your own game experience in our game. Like we'll have official servers and we'll have the base experience that we've made, but you can go in, you can pick dinosaurs from only certain periods and stuff like that and change how the gameplay is. Mm-hmm. 
And a few questions came in from chat. Uh, Black Lion asked, uh, it's one thing, will the game be allowed like a first-person view, or will it be third-person? So, currently planning on third-person, mainly because um, when you mount a camera on the head of a dinosaur, it's very <laughs> problematic in terms of like not getting erosion sick and oh, yeah. moving everywhere. Like, I'm sure there's a way we could do that, but it's not an initial goal right now, just because... Um, you know, like it's it's hard to get people to get motion sick and stuff like that. And you're a really long dinosaur, so you've got this turning arc where mm-hmm. controlling it's going to be a little bit. When you're a human, that's really easy, right? Like <laughs> a lot of the game engines, like Unreal Engine, for example, is designed for humans and human gameplay. And to do Path of Titans, we actually have to edit the engine and do like custom collision and stuff like that. Go through a hundred thousand lines of code and be like, okay, <laughs> it uses a capsule for collision. We need to change that to something else. Yeah. Because having these dinosaurs collide and interact properly is really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question, will the game feature blood and gore and will that be a uh, toggleable? Yeah. So, um, one of the main problems is we want to put our game as many places as possible and like countries like China for example like if you have blood in your game or you have skeletons or things like that you're not going to get you know pass or you know the Chinese government's going to be like well you know this doesn't fit in with our culture and stuff like that so we want to have options for that we also want to have options for like a kid like kids really love dinosaurs mm-hmm. like the target audience like I think between a male and female is split up almost 50% if you compare that for a first-person shooter, um, it might be 99% male, right? So there's a very diverse target audience of people because they just like dinosaurs, right? So we want to, maybe if you're a kid, um, we might disable chat as well, but you can still communicate through dinosaur calls, right? So mm-hmm. we have keys on your key. You can press the one key and your dinosaur will do a broadcast, for example, and you press two for like a friendly call and three, like I need help or I'm aggressive or something like that. And you can see people like spectate people communicating mm. just through dinosaur calls and people remember that's the help call someone's in danger i'm going to go over there and help them <laughs> yeah and we've seen some games go for that route i know i think it was i think the game was journey that uh, playstation 3 or 4 title where you can only communicate through gestures as a way of kind of turning off you know, some of the more toxic chat or, have, or you know, getting around having to worry about profanity and things like that. Yeah, so we figured that, like, some games don't do it well. Some games you're like, I need help, there's a zombie on me. And you're pressing between two options <laughs> that don't work and you're struggling. But with this game, once you learn the calls and you can hear other people talking and communicating, it feels like a really immersive experience. People acting like dinosaurs and it can be really interesting. And that can be a challenge when designing your game. It's like, well, how do we get people to behave like real dinosaurs? Like some games make dinosaurs mm-hmm. like monsters and things like that, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is super scary, but we're going towards a, it's an animal kind of direction and how can we fit it in and make it realistic? Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking at the page. I'm like seeing stuff about how you can alter your dinosaurs, you upgrade. So what kind of, I guess, progression curve are you going for? So the progression curve so we found with with experience in making games that, that people need something to get attached to. You know, they need like a skin they can unlock or they need yeah. some progression because otherwise there's there's no reason of caring about the game. So like 
some survival games actually have permadeath where if you die you just lose everything right and there's other dinosaur games where you die you start again off as a baby dinosaur and it's you know you might a glitch might kill you and might be really <laughs> upset but we're, we're putting us somewhere in the middle where you need to care about your life but we don't want you to care about it too much that you're really upset, right? Some games, if you don't care about your life, then the gameplay experience is very different in multiplayer because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a birdbath simulator is what people call it, where, <laughs> you know, we, we go on the game and someone just raw, 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 raw over and over again. They're like spamming the raw key mm-hmm. and there's no reason for them not to, sp- to spam the raw key, right? But if you mm-hmm. put in permadeath, you go on the game, it's silent, right? Like, the guy might be a guy in a bush next to you and he's not making a single sound because he doesn't want to die and lose all his stuff right mm-hmm. so we're kind of going in the middle of that but for progression we want you about a complete quest get points unlock new skins and things like that we see that a lot of the progressions going to evolved on you know unlocking new colors and skins i don't know if you've seen our character customization but we don't use a color wheel for customization we have individual unlockable colors okay like that you unlock cosmetic things we can do things like different attacks and things like that but we also don't want to create a massive imbalance where someone's playing for a long amount of time they level up too much they're like really strong and you know just murders everybody we kind of like a it's like a differences in trade offers and you're not always getting better you're trading this for this like gameplay souls kind of thing yeah you had to i think very kind of multiplayer based you gotta be really careful that that kind of like king of the server kind of atmosphere yeah yeah, and we see people um, grouping up and being able to take down that king of the server and, you know, him mm-hmm. having his own kind of problems. Like, for example, one of the problems with uh, previous games is um, you you might have a land center in China and there might be 200 people right there. Mm-hmm. And one buddy screams out, hey, I'm going to log into the server now. And they all log in right next to a lake in front of somebody and just murder them and log back out. Like <laughs> one person's in there being a scout. And you can't pre-design your game that yeah. like this is going to happen a lot of fixes we're going to have to do is going to be based on analytics right so we integrate analytics to our platform so when somebody dies they put a spot on the heat map we can see where people are dying what's fun what's not fun mm-hmm. because you can only design like people get these ideas in their head like oh if you have a cave you can hide into what happens when someone runs into the cave while you're chasing them are they going to get away can they not enter that cave and there's a whole loop of things that could happen and then there's what actually happens when your game goes live which is you know mm-hmm. people don't behave like expected right oh, yes. so i could compare this to for example um an irl comparison where the government's like we don't want people buying um sugary drinks so we're going to put a tax on it uh, and then people buy alcohol instead because it's cheaper right and it's like mm-hmm. well we didn't solve the problem and mm-hmm. that's kind of really connected to game design where you try to solve the problem and players just do a different thing not the thing you actually intend them to do or they create a new problem for you yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so that's very aware of that kind of stuff and we're aware that we won't fix all of that before launch uh mm-hmm. especially as an indie team we don't have like a budget for like a spare 200 qa testers and things <laughs> like that i think on another dev cast you talked about Mm-hmm. sometimes you appreciate the testers you've got just because you know you can't just you know yeah have every single game development problem solved for you mm-hmm. and the whole part about kind of being able to swap in our abilities or change your dinosaur it really reminds me of that classic game the evo for the super nintendo you ever yeah. heard of that one 
I I haven't played that. Like Nintendo, I'm pretty young, so the Nintendo was <laughs> you know just just getting started. I think when you know Randall was born. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorites growing up. That you basically evolve your animal and you can swap out different parts and that changes your stats and abilities. It was a lot of fun and they never really did anything else with that kind of design. Yeah, so we see, you know, people being able to get progression or even one concept we're looking into is scars. Like, what we can do is when you get scratched somewhere, we can save that into a texture file of he got scratched here and, like, merge two textures together. And then we can save that in a database somewhere, like, here's your scratch texture, right? And that might be all the locations you got attacked. And that, you know, makes you attach to your character, right? Like, you like you lose a horn or something like that, or, you know, uh, some plate as a Stegosaurus, for example, um, makes you attach to your character and unique, unique things like that that make the game interesting for people. Mm-hmm. And a few other questions... Uh, Black Lion asks, will there be like feather effects, for example? Uh, will there also be things like bone breaking when a dinosaur yeah, gets hit? Yeah, so, you know, for combat, we have localization, localized damage. So there might be some weak points on the dinosaur where, hey, you want to attack, attack near this neck location or something like that. And there's also bone breaking. Um, I don't, not sure about diseases yet because, like, um, you have to be careful about just adding in a mechanic. Like, how will it affect people's gameplay and stuff like that? So we'd have to look into something like that. But definitely, eating, drinking, burn breaking, damage—you know, you being able to heal, things like that—that uh, make the game interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, to Vivid Sky's point, that's another really good one. Did you play or did you look at Spore at all? That came out last decade. Um, I think other people of my team did, but I haven't played it too much. Hmm. Yeah, Spore was a very interesting game. I spoke with uh, Chris Hecker about a few years ago. He's doing Spy Party now. And very ambitious idea, but I think it ran into that same problem of they really couldn't develop that gameplay loop beyond just being a really cool idea. Yeah, and the the other problem is, is you can't treat this game like a if you have opposable thumbs kind of game by adding in all these, like if you're trying to compare it to World of Warcraft, for example, they can do a lot of stuff like building bases and stuff like that. That's unrealistic unrealistic for dinosaurs to do. <laughs> so we have to come up with new and interesting ways of you to have this kind of gameplay loop, but as a dinosaur and have it make sense, right? We're breaking the realism a little bit just to make the game fun, but we're not going all the way to, you know, Rust World of Warcraft kind of style of <laughs> gameplay. So dinosaurs can't be building castles in your game? Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, one concept we have is a player cave where you can you go into a point, a cave on the map, and you can get your own cave and upgrade it, and it's kind of like an instance zone. And it's, you know, not kind of like building your own house, but it's kind of comparable to that kind of thing where you can upgrade it and, you know, maybe you have scratches on the wall for how many people, like the other dinosaurs you've killed or something like that, where it, it's, it makes sense. Uh, because, like, for example, for a multiplayer persistent world, players need to feel like they've made an impact on the world to, to, to be interested in the game, right? If the game's static and you can't actually change anything in the world, mm-hmm. it's going to feel very shallow yeah. and that you're not actually making a difference. So that's where player caves come in. It's only for mm-hmm. a certain subset of people, right? So, um, And also, people change their gameplay, right? So 
one time you might want to log in as a herbivore and play a certain way. The other time you might want to log out, log in as a Spinosaurus, for example, and go around catching fish or, you know, log in as a Rex and go around trying to murder everybody. Each, each day you play the game, you might have a different, oh, I want to try this thing. So that's why we let you have multiple characters, kind of like what Warcraft does, where you can log in and log out and switch between different characters and change gameplay styles. You know, if you want to group up with your friend, he might be a herbivore and you might be a carnivore, so you might need another character so you can, Mm -hmm. you know, play together. Otherwise, you'll just be like eating eating him (laughs) instead of, you know, progressing the game. And that ruins friendships, I think, right there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Axel Waddle, I'm. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that name too much. Ask, what's your favorite dinosaur in the game so far? That's that's a really hard question. <laughs> you know, I think that's like the hardest question anybody can answer because I I do like a lot of them um, because they all have different styles, right? So the Suchomimus is really cool because of its fishing angle. Like a raptor is really like small and agile and stuff like that. I'd probably say more like a the raptor we have, but um, just because it's just not like it's very <laughs> Uh, stereotype that everyone's favorite dinosaur is either the T-Rex or the Spinosaurus. You know, <laughs> like we, we thought about actually not adding them to the game just to see how people would react because of like, you know, it's very like, Here, this is the strongest one, so it has to be my favorite because it's strong. And I think, you know, the real answers are a little bit no more nuanced on, you know, I like the way it looks or I like the way it plays or something like that. <laughs> and I guess with like the kind of design, you mentioned, of course, like the idea of having quests and you know things to do. Like, what kind of like quests are you going to be like planning for this kind of game? So there's obviously your basic like kill this thing, yeah. fetch this thing kind of quests, but there's also might be, you know, protect this AI other AI herbivore from being killed from this other NPC or like some kind of like quest where it's based upon other players or the environments. And the really cool thing is you can actually share quests with people. So you might form a group of dinosaurs in the game and hit a button to share a quest with somebody. And you can go do that quest together and feel like you've got an objective and something to do. Because otherwise you kind of just level up and get stronger and yeah. you get bored and run around and kill everybody. Like that's exactly what we don't want. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just like thinking about in terms of like the general gameplay, like, will there be, I guess, different quests for, like, different dinosaur types? Or- yeah, so, you know, obviously, if you're a carnivore, there might be very different requirements on more, more killing-orientated, because if all the dinosaurs' gameplay are different, we can't have, we can't give you a quest that may be as hard to complete as the dinosaur you're playing. So we fine-tune the quest a little bit for this makes sense for the dinosaur or gameplay you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what came in. Uh, HD Gamer asked, uh, how do you plan to make playing as the herbivores less idle and more of a consistent movement and not just staying in one area? So the, the kind of solution we've prototyped a little bit on that one is uh, we basically have uh, herbivores need to eat food and things like that. And a mechanic we're looking into is being able to have either a lake dry up or for you to run out of food in an area and need to move right so that's one of the reasons why you should move another reason is obviously uh quests and things like that um so growth isn't based over time it's based upon quests right so 
the problem with other games is if you grow over time or you get better over time, you just sit in a bush and wait until you're really strong, yep. right? We want people to be moving around to get progression because otherwise people feel like it's some kind of walking simulator or some kind of bush simulator <laughs> where you're like, well, I'm just going to wait till I'm old enough to murder everyone from a bush kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, as we've seen many times over, if you give players any option or any kind of way to cheat the system or get around it, they're going to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of our design decisions based on preview experience that players do. And we also have a replay system in the game where you can we record all the network traffic to a file so we can play back a server of how people play, right? So we can look at where everyone's hanging out and where everyone's dying. And if we have a problem where an area is too popular, we can go balance that kind of thing based on player data, right? Because some feedback you get is like, this dinosaur is strong, nerf this, this dinosaur is weak, buff that. Mm-hmm. Where the solution might not be any of those problems. It might be changing the map or doing something with this quest that solves the problem in a different way. You know what I mean? You have to look at multiple ways of solving a game design problem, yeah. not just the most obvious one. Oh, yes. And especially with a game like this, where if you change one thing, it will affect all the other characters, all the other types that you have, and then you just can enter that endless cycle of nerfing one thing to then buff another thing to then nerf something else. Yeah, so I want to avoid that. The other problem is we have 18 dinosaurs, so you have to test Dinosaur 1 versus Dinosaur 2, and Dinosaur 1 versus Dinosaur 1, and Dinosaur 1 versus Dinosaur 3, and it's like a whole you know, log n squared problem, right, where you've got all these different combinations to test. And that's, you know, it's really reason why we um, we want to get playtesting in so we can figure out how do people actually play. Yep. Let's see, anything else came in? Um, one thing, uh, while I'm sure we have more questions, I was curious about, you mentioned, of course, having public events or, like, kind of, like, it's, like, uh, server events as well like what does I mean, like a raid event or a global event look like for the game so we see it initially starting out as being like some kind of environment event so like maybe there's like some kind of heat wave or some kind of storm or some kind of thing happening on the map where it's like oh i need to play differently now you know what i mean or i need to take cover to not get struck by lightning or i need to uh Maybe there's an abundance of food in an area or food's drying out in one area. So some kind of random event on the map to make you play differently. Because otherwise the experience would just be the same every single day, kind of boring, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like with these kinds of events, like obviously as you were talking about, like a major part of the game is going to be kind of getting these rare rewards, customs, uh, making rare skins, things like that. So you always have to be careful with when you have these mega events. Because I've seen games where, like, like one of the things I've seen with like, some like Overwatch, where they have, you know, like the Halloween event, the summer event, and if you're not able to lock on or you miss it, well, you know, you're gone for 365 days. You know, yeah, come back so next year. I think we kind of mean, with the events, we don't necessarily mean, hey, this is a Halloween event, you can only get this Halloween skin at Halloween, kind of like Overwatch. I think it's more of like a this is an interesting thing happening on the map or happening in the game, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily miss out not being logged on. Like something I want to kind of avoid is a lot of mobile games and, and stuff like that do very predatory stuff of like, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, 
your dinosaur nest is being attacked right now. <laughs> please, in. please go to the bathroom at work and log in on your phone and please mm-hmm. defend this thing, right? I feel like that's a little bit much, mm-hmm. but, you know, a- enough variance to where, you know, uh, another thing we don't want to do is we obviously don't want to have microtransactions. Like, for example, this game, you could easily make a hell of a lot of money if you had, like, loot box, microtransaction, get a random mm-hmm. dinosaur skin, you know, but to us, that's a very predatory kind of stuff. We want it all through gameplay. Mm-hmm. And again, like, monetization in any game is a very challenging task. So I guess that actually is a really good segue to this question, then. Is the game going to be free-to-play or will require a purchase? So it will require a purchase. I think it's around 20 to $30 right now. Um, the thing we're trying to do right now is cross-platform purchases. So we're trying to okay. do... If you buy it on PC, it's free on mobile, vice versa kind of thing. And if we can do that for consoles too, that would be great. But uh, a lot of that decision-making isn't necessarily up to me. It's up to, you know, the console providers. But I see that being the future of games where you buy the game Mm. once, you can kind of like play it wherever you want kind of thing. Where, you know, we don't need to charge you 20 or 30 bucks for two or three (laughs) platforms kind of thing. I feel like that's a bit, bit much. You have to play. You gotta buy a copy for your Xbox friends. You gotta buy a copy for your PlayStation friends, and so yeah, on. Yeah, we say so like forth. you know, if you, the traditional family environment where maybe you play on an Xbox, maybe someone else plays mm-hmm. on their PC, someone else plays on their phone, and they can all kind of play in a shared experience. And that's hard to do because, like, a phone, for example, you have a gig of RAM for the whole game, mm-hmm. right? Like the the phone might be four gigabytes of RAM, but Android and a bunch of apps is taking up the rest of that. So you've got a gig yeah, to pull off a good experience. Yeah. Um, Inushiro, Inushiro, I'm pretty sure I just butchered that. I, I'm sorry about that. Ask, will there be a disadvantage between solo players versus group players? So there will be a bit of a disadvantage. And our, our current stance on that is a groups are overpowered. You know, like groups are overpowered in real life, right? <laughs> so like, if you're at a supermarket and there's some guy with a knife and he's got four buddies, you're in trouble <laughs> in real life, right? So we want to avoid fixing that nest, like fixing a problem that might be an interesting game. Kind of like if it's a huge problem and it's ruining the experience for everyone, maybe we'll look into it. But really, we want as many tools as possible to bad play with other people. Like we will have a single player mode as well if you like don't like multiplayer, mm-hmm. but you know. We groups we want groups to be a little bit overpowered, but you know there is obviously disadvantages to being a group where you now have to have food for everyone in the group, and there's all sorts of you know it might you might struggle right you might mm-hmm. compete for resources in a group where you know that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think Shark beat me too. So I'm assuming that you can't craft machine guns or assault rifles in this game, uh, right? That's to a compensate. No, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> now. I guess one thing that I was curious about that we didn't get to when we were talking about kind of the progression model and the gameplay loop. So, yep. obviously you say that you're trying to balance it between kind of soft core and hardcore play. Where yeah, so we're putting it in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we don't want to be extremely easy to play. We don't want it to be too hardcore, right? Yeah. If you really like easy or hardcore, you can play on unofficial servers and people can tweak all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh you know, with modding and with server configuration. So, you know, these roleplay groups, what they like to do is they like to write a dinosaur profile of like, hey, the Sukumimus plays like this, right? Mm -hmm. And they have like a whole experience of 
okay, only five people can be the Sukumimus, and they roleplay as these dinosaurs, and they make their own ecosystem where you get invited to the server and you get approved for a dinosaur and you roleplay as it, and it's a whole like simulation experience. Mm-hmm. Some people like that. Some people think like, man, I I forgot this random artificial rule they came up for the, my dinosaur profile. I'm now banned or whatever it is. <laughs> we want to experience all those people too. So for our official servers, you know, a lot of games have artificial rules like you can only have three tracks in a group or this. Like, we basically want to patch those through game design changes rather than random number limit kind of thing. Okay. And um, uh, the question I was getting to, like, with regards to, like, again, like, the death punishment, the death mechanic. So if the player, if their character gets killed, what exactly do they lose? Like, so we have a in-game currency called marks, I think. There's, like, okay. a dinosaur marks, and you could use that to unlock skins, new dinosaurs, and things like that. It's not buyable, so the economy is not going to be ruined on that one. You win it from getting quests and staying alive and things like that. You lose some of it when you die, right? So there's a penalty for dying. You lose some of it. You don't lose, and you don't lose too much of it. Where it's like, well, I'm not playing the game now. I die by a glitch, right? So it's a, you care about your character about fifty percent, not hundred percent, not zero percent. So that's the balance we're trying to hit. Okay. And again, that can be very difficult when you're trying to throw in, you know, custom rewards or special things. And I guess in terms, now obviously you mentioned that the game's going to be a an actual purchase. Will yeah. are you thinking about microtransactions or DLC or monetization like that? So, uh, this the scale we're developing the game on is really important for indie developers, yeah. right? So, if you're a AAA company and you need to pay two hundred people, right? For example, and you need to pay a publisher and you need to pay your Steam or Epic Game Store fee and everything added up, you don't get a lot of money, right? You might. Have you might struggle to monetize your game. You might be broke, right? But the the how many people we have working on the game and the scale we're at is pretty sustainable to where 20 bucks can pay for you downloading the game, you downloading mods, some salary for people, mm-hmm. uh, and some free updates. You know, maybe in the future we look at like, hey, here's an expansion pack or something like that. But the, the, the issue I have is... Um, until you've exhausted the like people to sell mm-hmm. your game to, mm-hmm. you won't struggle as much on monetization, right? If you've already sold your game to everyone who's going to buy it ever and you've ran out of people, you need to make DLC content to resell to existing customers, right? But if we run out of people to sell the game to, I don't think there's actually going to be a huge hole in our pocket where, okay, we run out of money, we need this other <laughs> thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. would, like that that's a real problem right if you have a game like battlefield for example you might the game might get 500 million or how much in revenue and that's considered a failure right because <laughs> it's for some reason like as an indie team you know we might get so many million that's not a failure for us that's enough to maintain the game for a number of years right and if we need more money, it might be in our best interest to add more content, make the game more interesting purchase, and expand out to different groups of people who maybe don't know about the game, right? Yeah. Make the game better. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, we see the game having a five to ten year kind of life cycle, right? Where it's going to be hard for us to run out of people to sell the game to. But mm-hmm. if that's a thing, we can totally look at alternative options. But I'm really thinking we won't need to right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, a few questions came in from chat, and then I have a few more myself. 
uh, Rye L asks, are there any updates on clans? Will they be player profile specific, or will they be locked to different to specific characters? Um, so currently, their character or plan to be character specific, just because you might want to do like some kind of herbivore clan or something like that. But you can share a group with your, uh, sorry, a, a quest with your clan as well, so you can all team up, do a quest together, kind of thing. Um, so it's it's separate at the moment. It's not character it's not player profile mm-hmm. specific you can add people as a friend and obviously they might play as a different dinosaur and you might team up as you know carnivores this time or something like that instead okay and uh vosh asked uh do the models scale as you progress yeah so a, a really popular thing in the, these kind of games is seeing your dinosaur grow and we have nesting and growth as a stretch goal we unlocked Okay. So something we're working on is uh, your dinosaur will grow as you play, as as you get points. And uh, we have different uh, morph targets on the mesh. So, you know, a, a baby dinosaur might have different proportions of like how big their head is or how big their feet are or tail is. So those will scale dynamically as you play the game. So, you know, you grow over time. Kind of uses a morph target kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, I don't think uh, Jeff Goldblum is going to be in this one, uh, Bodie. You know, we'd love to have him, but, you know, it's also, you know, it's not really affordable for an indie team. You know what I mean? It's a bit of a commitment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be great just have him as a narrator and just, like, randomly narrates, like, nothing that's really going in the game. Just have him, like, talking over everything. <laughs> Honestly, I think the, the sales would probably skyrocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it's it's um. Uh, Swift Fox, I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, will there be flying creatures in the game? Yeah, yes, it's actually a stretch goal we unlocked. Okay. And one of the game design points with flying is World of Warcraft had this where suddenly when you add flying, it can ruin parts of the game. Like they had people just mm-hmm. fly from one quest giver to another yeah. and they skipped all this beautifully handcrafted <laughs> world that they spent millions of dollars making. So mm-hmm. that's something we're thinking about performance is something we think about like you fly up you're rendering a lot of objects you want to lag um obviously stamina we see stamina being a big thing where you can't just fly around forever so maybe you'll need to land and you'll be at risk for predators and things like that uh another thing you know which is interesting is picking up a baby dinosaur being able to fly up and just drop them right it's just like a a strategy for food or you know stealing someone's fish or something like that but that's that's all the things we're thinking about at the moment i'm just like a picture in my head right now like somebody lying over the first time they're starting to play and all of a sudden like a larger player like comes in swoops and grabs them up and that's their first experience of playing (laughs) yeah that's uh we we look at uh some behavior of animals in real life of what they do and that's a valid strategy of you know it might be hard or annoying time consuming to you know, kill something, maybe you just want to drop it, you know what I mean, and, and have that taken care of for you. <laughs> uh, one thing that I was kind of curious, again, going back to kind of the general design, so in yeah. terms of the various dinosaurs, and I guess in terms of, I guess, future-proofing the game as well, are you thinking about them in terms of, like, specific species or specific types of dinosaurs, or are you thinking about them in terms of, I guess, maybe, like, quote-unquote, classes, you know, something that would be a close range, something larger that may does, you know, more faster attacks, things like that. Yeah, so we see 
the bigger dinosaurs being slow, we see smaller dinosaurs being faster, and like balance set up in a way where everyone can be interesting. Uh, one of the problems you have with dinosaurs is, for example, um, a lot of dinosaurs or species are very similar to each other, yeah. right? So if we're looking in the middle of the screenshot, we've got like the Allosaurus and a couple of dinosaurs that are very similar to him. Mm-hmm. If you have both of those in the game, they might defeat the purpose of another one that's similar to it being in the game or having a point. So we want to look at gameplay differences between them, even if the model is similar, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, the problem of all the dinosaurs being a different model and playing the same is a very real issue, you know, yeah. in terms of speed and movement and things they can do. And that's kind of why, like, fishing, for example, mm-hmm. is mainly exclusive to the Sycamimus and Spinosaurus, as that's going to be your gameplay loop, you know. Um, so, yeah. And not only that, but if they have similar abilities and their model, their size will be a major factor. Because if you have, you know, a tiny dinosaur, let's say, doing like a tail smack attack, well, he's not going to be able to hit as far as if you have the same guy, you know, 20, 30 times that size doing that same attack, that can completely wreck the balance. Yeah, exactly. And we see different mechanics, you know. Like, you might better crouch under that tail smack instead because you're so small, right? Or yeah. there might be different different ways we can look at how do we make this interesting for people to play. And so it's going to be a hard, hard bit. So it's kind of sounded like instead of having, like, hard quote-unquote classes that you may be going for maybe, like, a pool of different skills and then maybe assigning different skills to each kind of species of dinosaur? Yeah, so you might be a raptor kind of dinosaur. Maybe we give you, like, here's your options and things you can unlock, mm-hmm. and here's the differences between playing this guy versus this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone also asks about balancing AI. What we plan on doing is the less players that are on the server, the more AI we spawn. As, as okay. you know, more people spawn in, we'll swap those out with real players. So the world can still feel alive. Like, some of the problems are with games is if your player mm-hmm. base drops a little bit, suddenly the gameplay doesn't work and suddenly the game's really boring so you know for i don't know comparing like lawbreakers but their player base dropped a certain amount and then suddenly people can get into matches and then your game dies instantly at that point we see you know um population scaling based on player demand so Mm -hmm. that kind of problem didn't happen and again that's been the death nail for many multiplayer games over this past decade because once you start losing players, it becomes that downward spiral of, I try to lock on, there's nobody to play, so I stop logging on, so the next person can't find anyone, and it just repeats until there's like five or ten people left playing. Yeah, so that can be a very huge problem for the life cycle of a game, is making sure <laughs> that... And, and maybe you're playing in a country, so, you know, so Brazil, for example, and maybe there's not as many people online, mm-hmm. and you've got ping to a server, so... The game might be super popular with millions of people playing, but maybe one area is less popular. So we yeah. want to make the the base game fun. Uh, but another thing to factor in is that AI behaves differently than players do, you know, like, like very differently. So yeah. having it still work out with that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few more questions, and uh, we have some more questions in chat as well. Before I get to some more of the... Uh, uh, questions from chat. One thing I just wanted to ask, you mentioned earlier that the servers themselves will be, I think, like 200 players per server. 
Are there any plans or any thoughts about raising or lowering the number of max players? Yeah, so I think the the average Unreal Engine game with like as a first person shooter, they're going for like a hundred, right, on one server process, right, and that's really hard because you've got like bullet prediction and all these other calculations you have to do. With dinosaurs, because they're not running around with the machine guns, we feel like we can get it up to that 200 number. To get beyond 200, we feel like um, you'd need some kind of solution, kind of like World of Warcraft does, where you distribute players over multiple servers and you have them switch between them kind of thing. Uh, but th- we do see that expanding in the future. I, th- I think like, oh, having a thousand people, that's really cool. But you have to factor in, does that make the game any better? Right, like it's a really cool number and stuff. Like, oh my god, all these people are playing, but does that make the game any better? And if it doesn't, we feel like more players mm-hmm. won't make the game any better. Mm-hmm. We probably won't go down that direction because yeah. it's a lot of resources. If it doesn't improve the game, mm-hmm. you know, then that's that's not not that fun to play. And speaking of, is the map like? Are the maps in the game like procedural or randomly generated, or is it like the same map for each server? So. We have uh, we have a map we call it uh, Pandora. It's, it, we basically hand make it tile by tile. So I think it's like sixty four tiles. Okay. I think like a tile is like a kilometer or something like that. We have so many tiles complete, <laughs> and we have to have our artists go through tile by tile, right? And you know we might have an area on the map that might look really good, but it might be really bad to players, right? So mm-hmm. we'll collect feedback from people. And we'll go change the map based on how people play. Like this area, it looks really cool, but there's this ledge and there's a way someone plays, and that might ruin the gameplay experience for someone. All right. Uh, before I get to a few more of my questions, let's go through some of the ones that came in through chat. Uh, Rye L asked, "Will clans be able to mix carnivores and herbivores? And what are the benefits of clans other than grouping up?" So one of the benefits with clans is you can obviously share quests. You can easily join, you know, like coordinating people on different servers. It might be more convenient. You get your own chat. You can chat to each other, like text chat, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, the You know, there's also like tools for assisting out like where my friend is, right? So one problem we had with our game design was you, you might be playing the game with your girlfriend. And for example... Um, you're at the different you're at the other side of the map you spend two hours trying to find your <laughs> girlfriend she gets killed seconds after you find her you start the whole thing over again so we find like finding each other on the map's not really that fun what we a mechanic we added was waystones where you can go to the stone and activate and invite your friend who might be in your clan to where they can spawn in where that waystone is so you can skip the whole two hour process <laughs> of finding your friend and go to the fun parts of the game that we want you to play. Because playing with friends is just so much more fun than running around yourself, you know, in my experience. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ryu asks, will there be creatures that only live in water? Uh, I think we do have some AI AI creatures and things like that. That'll We've got critter, critter AIs around <laughs> the map. Um, but we do plan on, you know, um, you know, even with like Spinosaurus or you know some kind of crocodile-based life form, like there is some ground gameplay, you know, that we find probably be more interesting. 
uh, if we ever do like playable aquatics or fish or something like that, I think in a stretch goal, like these will those will be water based, and the map has to be designed around their gameplay. Yeah. Uh, Swift Fox asked, "Will there be a maximum number of dinosaurs? I guess in terms of I guess type. So like, if will there be like a limit of let's say fifth? There can only be fifty carnivores on a server, or you know, a hundred herbivores, or things like that." Yeah. So talked a little about this earlier. We want to avoid artificial limits, so mm-hmm. you can only have you know five Spinosauruses or whatever it is on the server. If everybody wants to play only one dinosaur, we will look into that in our game design, like how does that affect? We might spawn more herbivore AI to compensate for everyone playing that kind of dinosaur um, and things like that, but we don't really want to penalize people for playing the dinosaur they want to play, right? It'd be like if um, mm-hmm. you went to play World of Warcraft and like, well, only five people can play Rogue right now. I don't think you'd have a very good time. So we can make the, the, the gameplay where if you're a Spinosaurus, and everyone that it's going to be so much more interesting playing as a smaller smaller guy that's faster than that to you know fight for resources going around the map get objectives things like that uh to where that's more interesting more people want to play that mm-hmm. uh bodhi asked um i guess when is like your official what is your plans for like a launch for path of titans so our current schedule we want to do uh want to do some kind of launch in february but uh we do need to fit in some kind of play testing and things like that before that so there might be a bit of delay on the exact time but that's kind of like a a approximation okay we we are interested in like syncing up the launch of the console versions and all that all at the same time so that's hard right because you Mm -hmm. have to get certified you know certified in europe certified in america certified in japan certified in this language for every console like multiple times so we're looking into stuff like that but we'll let people know um how that's going and generally the approach to community management and schedules and timelines and stuff like that i take are if you be honest with people you know you can't have controversies and things can't be go wrong you know i mean if you're honest with your customers you tell them exactly what they're going to get and you're transparent and open and you're not adding predatory microtransactions and stuff like that they're generally okay with you know your schedules and the things you're doing. The moment you start lying to people, <laughs> that's when you start having backlash and controversy. And you know, if you look at any AAA game, they're like, "This guy, <laughs> this one added loot boxes, and they didn't disclose it before they launched, and everyone's upset, and they're all refunding it." I think if you be honest, and um, one of the reasons why we wanted to do our own platform was uh, because we could refund anybody for any reason right like we didn't have to like, go talk to steam and be like hey this person's not enjoying the game but we can't really refund you we can like giving you back your 20 dollars is a lot cheaper than that person being upset or unhappy with the game mm-hmm. and again you have to be that little transparent with people or as we've seen that's how a lot of these controversies seem to start yeah yeah exactly so you know there's always this oh they pat they changed the Euler and they didn't tell people and now you know you know you might have some comment of oh is this game spying on me or, or something <laughs> like that right so we be open and honest and transparent we can't be too transparent about the console stuff because of non-disclosure stuff but everything else we're trying to be as transparent as possible uh on exactly what people are getting um and 
that could ruin the game for people like you might miss some surprises and things like that that if you weren't following the game's development so closely but um we're trying to set a new standard for transparent development where it's okay to show that this game's not done yet and that's kind of why we live stream on youtube every single day and have grown a lot on youtube is that we have people making the map painting skins doing programming all sorts of things ever like a video every day right so if you want to follow <laughs> our development uh you can totally do that and you can see the game being made and a lot of people are like you know, I used to look, be worried about streaming the game. Like, oh, isn't someone going to steal it or something like that? <laughs> like, is someone going to steal my code? And the approach is that having the idea is really easy, right? Actually executing on it and it working is really hard. <laughs> so your idea is not necessarily secret and unique and you need to hide it. It's can you actually pull it off, right? And the harder your game is, the harder it is to clone. So we're not really worried about <laughs> someone stealing our ideas or stealing our game. Like, go right ahead it's going to be really hard and you'll go through all the problems we did and that's okay right like we see that as a good thing so <laughs> oh, and we've talked about that many times on these uh, podcasts and discussions if a shark is still watching i'm sure he's busy planning his shark theme version of your game right now <laughs> no yeah, but so <laughs> we we kind of like what we think that thinking is kind of like a little bit backwards and <laughs> you can just because you can stream the making of your whole game and it doesn't get maybe if you're making like a 2d game that takes a week to make and it's really popular yeah you're going to get cloned but if you're making you know something complicated mm -hmm. it's not going to get cloned it's going to be really hard and you know somebody copying our design for example like that's okay this just gives us better competition right yeah. like if there's another dinosaur game that comes out right now we're actually we actually we appreciate the other dinosaur game because it forces us to work harder or add more things and things like that because there's only like seven dinosaur games on xbox for example so there's there's not a lot of them right yep and again when it comes to this issue of cloning a lot of people tend to they will go after those clones, and it's very easy to see what games are usually the real deal versus the ones that are just copying somebody else's mechanics. I mean, we certainly saw with that Untitled Goose game that I think somebody, I think you linked in and Chad, like, there's already like 30 different clones about it on the mobile store. Yeah, and I think for some games that I've launched that weren't even on mobile, somehow <laughs> there's 30 versions of my game on mobile. Cuphead was an example of that, too. It's not the real game. It's probably like a fake screenshot or something. I was trying <laughs> yeah. to steal user data, but that stuff makes it on Google Play, and that causes a lot of saturation, and that's oh, just yes. uh, not fun. Mm -hmm. As a quick time check for everyone, we are just over an hour into the stream. So this will be, I guess, kind of last call for any gameplay-related questions for Path of Titans. We're only moving on to talking about the platform or developing the platform next. So if you have any more questions, please get them in. I have a few myself. But uh, getting back to some of the questions in chat, Mr. Dolly asks, will Spino and Succo be able to depend solely on fish? Uh, that's the current plan. But one thing we're looking at adding is a overfishing mechanic. So mm -hmm. if you go through and you go murder all the fish, they're going to respawn slower, right? So it's in your mm -hmm. best interest to not overfish. And that's going to make you have to compete for resources maybe against another fisher right mm -hmm. um so that's something we'll look at because if you're a if you can catch fish and water's right there what else do you need to do to stay alive right like 
everything you need is all in one place. Mm. So we want to make it a little bit harder for you. And um, the way fish work is they get scared, you know, if you disturb the water too much or, you know, mm. another herbivore comes rushing through it or whatever it is. So a mechanic could be you scare the fish away from somebody else, you kind of thing. You know, kind of like if in real life somebody's fishing and there's some kid swimming or whatever it is, scares <laughs> all your fish away. Big problem. <laughs> um, let's see. I think we uh, answered this question already, but Anushiro asked, will, there, will we be able to have more than one dinosaur at the same time? I think you said that you'll yeah, be able to. Well, the, the idea is if you wanted to, you could probably have like one of every dinosaur, right? So if there's a gameplay style you can switch to, you know. And the, the challenge for that is avoiding someone playing as a dinosaur, logging out, logging as another one at a yeah. different spot on the map, and just murdering everybody, right? So we have to set up the gameplay in a way where that's not easily exploited, you know? And mm -hmm. I've seen other games where they disable Steam family sharing because they have, <laughs> you know, you might have one dinosaur on account, for example, and you share the game to 10 of your family members, and they all log in at the same time <laughs> and murder everyone and ruin someone's game. Like, that's a legit problem we have to solve, you know? And mm -hmm. um, some survival games that save your location, where you log out, for example, log back in, you could log in behind somebody, right? So that's a whole different experience to solve than a single-player game, right? Is yeah. like, yeah, so. And again, like, that's probably a podcast in of itself discussions about that kind of balancing and the fact that you are essentially trying to compete against the players in terms of trying to build this game out versus them exploiting any loopholes that you leave behind. Yeah, so if everyone plays DZ, right, where you can log out, where you log back. So there's not a lot stopping you from just logging in behind somebody with a pistol, bang right in the head, and suddenly they just die for no reason and they feel terrible that somebody just logged in behind them. So if creating mechanics where if somebody's logging in near you maybe you know in advance right or mm -hmm. maybe you spawn them a different location or change the gameplay a little bit so it's not exploitable right because mm -hmm. there's, there's there's a whole subclass of people that's like i don't like multiplayer games and i only play single play games it's not because the multiplayer game's bad it's just there's all these exploits that go on that ruin the game for people yep and again, like I'm, I think I'm a lot of that way too. Like I'm not a huge fan of like exploitable multiplayer like that, because as you said, it does ruin that experience. That if I can play this game 10, 15 hours, somebody can exploit something and kill me in five seconds. What would be the motivation to replay the game at that point? Yeah, and most of the time, you either hate the person that killed you or you hate the game. Yeah, right, and. You know, we don't want that experience, you know. We want the experience of if you screw up and you get killed, oh, it's my fault kind of thing, right? And it's not, it's the game's fault. Like, if it's the game's fault, uh, you're not communicating the experience properly or the experience is bad to where the play is feeling like that, right? Yeah. Um, I have two more questions, I think, and then we'll turn to the channel, throw it to you if there's anything else. Uh, one thing that I was curious about, you men mentioned, of course, like food and, you know, keeping resources going. I guess, what kind of, I guess, gameplay is there going to be for the survival side of the game? All right, so um, because it's not purely a survival game, it's... it's, you know, it's important, but it's not the most important thing, right? So mm -hmm. if there was permadeath, survival would be extremely important. So it's it's about the, the 50% mark. But we do want 
reasons for people to be coming back to water getting food uh, a thing with the food system is um so when you attack somebody you get a chunk of meat right that gets removed from them and you can carry it around and drop it right so there's a legit strategy of carrying around meat or it rotting on the ground and stuff like that and this is the same with fish right so if you catch fish you kill it you put it on the bank it'll stay there it'll rot over time but this strategy between people where you might carry food for somebody else in your group for example or there might be a baby dinosaur you carry food around for because it can't go around and hunt as well as and things like that so that's where the food water element comes at survival element comes into the gameplay okay and again, like survival elements, I think are very tricky to go with because, uh, for my fans watching, you know how much I'm not a huge survival fan myself. I try playing games like The Long Dark, Some Naga, even quote unquote lighter examples like Don't Starve. And that yeah. constant resource strain has always been like one of the things that drives me nuts about those games. Yeah, so sometimes. I feel like survival elements are just copied from another game instead of like thought about really deeply. And I think games like Don't Starve, for example, they start off as you're going to fail. The question is when, yeah. right? As like how many days you're going to be alive for. But the approach we want to take where it's an interesting, immersive, extra thing to do. It pushes you in some directions, but mm -hmm. it's not to a point where it ruins the game, right? Because if you're all just eating, drinking, eating, drinking, eating, <laughs> drinking you don't get to play the game. You don't actually get to have fun, right? If that's the only thing you do, right? So it, it becomes yeah. a drinking simulator at that and point. And that can be like a crafting game too, is mm -hmm. where you have limited inventory space. You have to craft things. You do a standard crafting game. Like that can be very boring. Some people like, I hate all crafting games. Mm -hmm. And they don't really. It's just that design of how that's set up. Yeah. Something they had. A discussion about survival design, again, that's another really interesting topic. Because I think it always comes down to is, can the player reach a point of stability? Or sustainability, in a matter of speaking. Like, one of the things I like about Subnautica was that while there were those survival mechanics, you could eventually build to the point that it wasn't really a factor. You know, you have a base giving you all the water you need, you grow all your food, and you're done. While with something yeah. like Don't Starve, it was basically, you're going to need to keep collecting grass hour one, as you're going to be doing that in hour 15, 30, 50, and so on. So the, the bit we want to get to is actually right in the middle of those two, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't want you to, if, you, if, if food didn't rot on the ground, you could just have a pile of fish and defend your pile of fish, and you're good forever, right? And then... You know, unless the quests are interesting enough, it's like, well, what do I do next, right? There's no objective or thing to do, right? But we also don't want the opposite approach where all you're doing is just getting food and you can't actually play the game, right? So mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle, it's like a, a balance between, hey, this is cool and interesting versus I'm not doing this thing over and over and over again as boring. Mm -hmm. All right. And I guess here's my last gameplay-related question, then we'll turn it over to the chat as well. Um, you've been mentioning, of course, having stretch goals and things like that. Um, did you do a Kickstarter for our Path of Titans? Yeah, so we did an Indiegogo okay. and we actually made our own crowdfunding platform, you know, because we're remaking everything apparently. So we actually have both, right? And um, I think we're doing an extended crowdfunding right now where basically because we're so open, honest, and transparent – Anybody can go to, you know, elderongames.com slash store, see exactly how much money we have. I think it's close to around uh, 
200,000 USD right now. And we tell you where the money is going, what things are added to the game for that amount of money. The problem that I see with early access games and finances and things like that is you release part of a game that's unfinished as early access. Mm -hmm. You now have $5 million and it's like, well, I have no motivation to finish the game right now, right? Like, (laughs) Like that's a legit problem, right? Where, you know, like you make the game, it's released. I have all this money. What do you like? There's no like, shit, I'm running out of money, I need to finish. There's no motivation there, right? Mm-hmm. All your players get upset because the game's not finished, right? They'll get um, like, hey, that's been early access for five years or something like that, or where's the updates, or why aren't you transparent, or all these things, right? So mm-hmm. we feel like it's important for us to let people know where the money's going, right? Yeah. Like I'm not getting, like I've had a lot of publisher deals like message me like, hey, just add loot boxes or just do this thing or release on this platform. And I have no interest in like a helicopter or like a Cocoa Bola desk or any of those things. I'm here for a good game, right? So <laughs> you don't uh, want a private island. The problem with publicly, tra- like publicly traded companies is the best interest of the company isn't the players, it's shareholders, mm-hmm. right? So you're not thinking with the player's best interest in mind. And I see that as a huge problem where. And the same with a free-to-play game, you're thinking you have to, if you have ads, you're not a game developer, you're a, you're now a <laughs> avid, you're like buying and selling ads, right? Yeah. That's all you're doing, right? And I wanted to avoid that by people buy the game up front. My job is actually being a game developer and not selling ads or trying to farm whales or people with gambling mechanics or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the way I see it, right? And the players see that too and that's why we've been so successful with this because a lot of other games they're not really open and honest or are you getting a publisher and you know are they just trying to buy another jet or something like that and (laughs) that's another reason why i won't sell the company out to somebody else because Mm -hmm. um if we sold the company to somebody it's not a game company or a game studio it's an investment Mm -hmm. and the second the investment stops returning bang like cancel it shut it down right Yep. versus if we're a game studio we're going to have ups and downs and that's normal we're going to keep going mm-hmm. and I think uh, getting back to the point about like stretch goals and again about that issue when money comes in we've seen some developers have the issue of all of a sudden we have all this money in what are we going to do now kind of thing like do we promise, you know, 30 more stretch goals? Do we just keep with our original vision? Do we try and, you know, go big YOLO our game? And that's always been one of those very interesting push and pulls of kind of like crowdfunded-based titles. Yeah, so the, the option is you go with the publisher, maybe you have to pay him 50% or 30% or something like that, and suddenly you lose all creative control of your game, right? It's like you must add microtransaction skins, you must add this, you must add that. And I was talking to one of my developer friends um, about another game where there's an in-game currency and you people can buy the in-game currency to skip actually playing the game, yeah. right? And <laughs> they, make, they have to make new stuff for you to buy, like make new ships or whatever for you to buy. And they have a problem where some they make the ships more expensive because everyone has too much money and then a new player can't actually... Yeah buy anything unless they spend their money as well yeah so it you created a problem that's actually non-solvable like the solution is people can't buy currency don't have any bugs that give you too much currency 
balance the economy, right? But if you start, you know, throwing your integrity away, you actually it's a it's a problem where the game developers put it intentionally in the game and then they sell you the solution, right? Mm-hmm. Oh so yes. By doing crowdfunding, we get to remain independent. And two hundred thousand people are like, wow, that's so much money. It's not a lot, right? So if we if I wanted to hire a programmer, it could be like hundred k a year, right? So mm-hmm. um, me and the other co-founder, we're not actually drawing a salary from the game yet. We're using it to pay other developers, and you know we'll break even when the game comes out, kind of thing. Not necessarily because if I paid myself and everybody else right out the gate, mm-hmm. game wouldn't get made, right? Yeah. There's like a lot of lot of post launch costs and things like that. Oh yes. And just as Shark said in chat, like, some people, again, think $200,000 means, oh, you can make whatever the hell game you want. Not really. Like, it, it is very expensive to make a video game, let alone a really amazing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another problem with publisher deals is, you know, if we spend all the 200 k for example, that's a lot easier to make back than if you spent three million, for example, right? Like, mm-hmm. for example, like the more money you put in, the more risky the whole project gets, and the harder everything gets, and publisher mm-hmm. deadlines and things like that. Right? So, we see it being a economy of a certain scale, and we want to keep things in that scale. Mm-hmm. Players, uh, people, people who look at like two hundred thousand, they aren't thinking of all the costs of the game. They're thinking. Well, you know, I only make fifty thousand a year or something like that. <laughs> well, like these these guys just have everything. They should should be fine. But there's a balance we struck that we explain to people mm-hmm. how the money's used and that kind of thing, so they get an idea. You know, but we'd still be honest with people. And again, that layer of transparency is very important for any developer these days. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just you know. Uh, if you want people to support your game and not call it a scam and you just have to be honest and open with them and they'll be really understanding like if you look at every single controversy that's ever happened in game development like every single one of them like i follow a lot of them (laughs) it's all somebody got lied to somebody got pissed off somebody's getting Mm -hmm. deceived bad controversy happens right like epic game store grabbing exclusives from people or pulling it from steam right you know right whatever it is like if you're just honest and open and transparent, like, hey, we're not launching on Steam or whatever it is, you, like, let people know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, so, that's so much important. So we've always told people from the beginning, hey, we're not launching on Steam right from the get-go, so you're either okay or not okay with that, right? And mm-hmm. that's... People are okay. People don't mind downloading another launcher if you're honest with people, right? The, the bit we wanted to avoid was... Uh, not telling people about this or oh, I'm going to launch on this and the don't actually and things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, let me see. I think we have a few uh, questions that came in and then I think we'll begin to move on to the second part of our conversation. Okay. So uh, team new brigade, I think I may have just uh, screwed that one up too. Uh, he asked two questions, or they did. Um, specifically on AI interaction, will they will the AI react to communication such as threatening or help calls? Yeah. So the the really interesting part is because we have that call system where you can one key to broadcast and mm-hmm. two key to friendly call or something like that. We can now have the AI hear that, either react to that. You know, you might do a three call and they can group up with you kind of thing, like as AI group up 
Gwitir, right? So that's very interesting. You know, if you just had text chat only, for example, then like talking mm-hmm. to AI is really hard. You're either entering commands or you're, yeah. you know, it's just like some text to speech. You kind need of thing. like a text parser or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, like you see those games that like some kind of RPG and <laughs> you go to talk to an NPC and it pops up a, a text box and I'm like, oh God, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then they ask another question: Will there be communication between the player and the AI? Just the player being able to like command AI or reach yeah, out so to an AI to help them? Um, yeah, so you can use any of your calls. You can talk to the AI, but you're not in control. So the AI might decide to help you, or it <laughs> might just decide to just run off. Right? So it's 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 more like it's an animal you're talking to here. So it's it's very, you know. Maybe you just murder its friend. It's not going to help you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> All right. So I think with that, my the last question for this section then for you, Mike, is are there any other aspects relating to Path of Titans from a design or a gameplay standpoint that we didn't touch on? Um, I think we almost pretty much covered everything. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, we talked about flight. We talked about water. Um... I guess here's a quick one. You mentioned earlier that players will be able to kind of create their own personalized caves and things like that. Yeah. Are the caves, like, will they be, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, like, are they, like, instance to the world itself? Or so is it... Basically, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of cave entrances on the map. Okay. When you go into one, you will enter your instance, right? You can invite okay. a friend to also go into your instance. Um, a lot of people are like, hey, what's the point of a cave, right? Um, could people just run in there to just avoid people and things like that? But the point of the cave mainly is you get your own place in the world. Maybe you get a break from having to survive constantly, or maybe mm-hmm. you're hanging out with a friend or something like that. Uh, we can also show like things you've unlocked as a physical form in your cave, right? So yeah. you get marks, you upgrade your cave, you get more rooms. You know, maybe you get like a pet bird or something like that that hangs around in the cave or something <laughs> like that. But for those people who are into that kind of thing. All right. I think that's all the questions. And again, with the game, you say we're looking for an estimated release date of, is that February of 2020? Yeah, it's estimated. It might be a bit longer than that, but that's, that's the current estimate. Okay. And again, um, in the future, if you're free, we can always have you back on for a follow-up and kind of what else yeah. you learn. Yeah, I'd like to see, because this game's not out yet, people, yeah. you know, they might, oh, I'm going to follow Path of Titans and take the advice. It might work, it might not, right? Yeah. It's been working so far, but the cool thing about being transparent and talking to the community and stuff like that is other game developers can see, hey, mm-hmm. did this work? Did this not work? Should I go in this direction? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's kind of where we see it at. Yep. So I think with that, doing another time check... Uh, we we set kind of a soft stop for around two hours. We'll see where things go. But let's get to the back half of our little conversation. That's talking more about the fact that Path of Titans is being built on its own platform slash launcher. Because as you were saying, this is a topic that really doesn't come up all that much when we're talking about game dev. And it's definitely very fascinating, especially in today's market with the quote-unquote digital store wars going on between Epic and Valve. So uh, for this section, then, I guess the first question for people watching us right now, live or recorded, when we say that you are developing your own platform, what does that mean to the player? 
So that means it's a Steam feature equivalent platform, right? So uh, plus some extra things were added. So all the features like having mods and being able to take screenshots and friends and everything, we're going for all of those features. So that's actually a lot of work for an indie team. Uh, you know, if you look at like how the Epic Game Store is progressing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the main ab- advantages we get for the kind of platform, I can I can go through a few, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, let me just set up a screen share real quick, oh, yeah. so. and I'll adjust things here. All right, uh, let me know when the screen share is up, and I'll switch the image. Okay, it looks like it's working. All right, give me one second. Here, uh, you may have to kind of zoom in a little bit on the text. Okay, I'll see if I can zoom in. Oh. All right. For the chat, let us know if you can read that text. Okay, or I'll not. I'll be reading a lot of it out anyway. Okay. It's just like points for me to remember. But basically, mm-hmm. um, the the idea of the platform started. So Valve was hosting an event called Morning Tea with Valve, where they messaged a bunch of Steam developers, and they're like, "Hey." please come out, you know, to talk about video games and things like that. So we came out there, we asked, you know, we asked some questions of like, hey, you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, crash reporting doesn't work for 64-bit, can you fix it? And we got a got a couple of mixed answers of like, oh, the guy who worked on that doesn't work on it anymore mm-hmm. and or things like that. Or like, oh, how did this store algorithm get worked? Like, if we get 10,000 people wishlist our game, are we going to get featured? And there's just a lot of weird like numbers and things like that in Steam that we weren't really so sure on, right? So mm-hmm. back in 2015, if you launched a game on Steam, you'd get like a million or two million impressions on the homepage of, of Steam, right? And you'd be successful no matter what, like provided your game sold itself mm-hmm. and things like that, right? But the problem now in 2019 is you don't actually get all of that marketing traffic because of the store saturation, right? So yeah. you get a lot of features and we love valve and steam and it's really awesome and we're not saying that everybody should go make your own platform but mm-hmm. there's a few particular issues we had with it that we couldn't really get solutions for yet um so it was actually suggested like valve suggested hey try make your own platform and if it doesn't work you can always launch on steam later right so mm-hmm. that's kind of the impression we started off with we didn't mm-hmm. want to if we launch on steam first and then make our own platform suddenly our user base is split up and now we have to split two different sets of features and two different implementations of everything. So the bit we're trying to go after is we make a platform that supports the game in the best way possible, right? To where if we added the game to another store, it wouldn't have enough, it wouldn't have the equivalent features or, or be as good, right? Yeah. Um, and I think... It's bad, but it just... It's a tool made specifically for our use case, which is always better than a generic tool made for everybody. Yeah, uh, I think the chat does want you to zoom in just a little bit more. I think they said, "All right, okay, yeah, um, yeah." So I guess with that said, um, uh, Vivid Sky asks, "Are you going to have stuff like friends list, DMs, things like that?" Yeah, so we will have our own Elder on Games friends. You can add or remove, but the thing we took advantage was you can sign in with Discord, Steam, uh, mm. Google and a bunch of other providers, and we can pull in your friends from there. Okay. But if you're on, like, an Xbox, for example, you'll have your friends on our platform and our friends on Xbox, for example. You're like, you have them both. Mm-hmm. Another issue we fix was 
Steam Workshop only works on PC and not console, right? Mm-hmm. So if we make our own platform, we can make it console compatible and have mods properly share between all the platforms and things like that. Interesting. And I guess here is a question I'm just wondering about. You said that uh, Valve suggested to try and make your own platform with the game. So with Path of Titans, did you come up with the idea? Were you thinking about creating a platform from the very beginning? So we were thinking about creating it, right? Yeah. But we're also split between, hey, Steam's really awesome. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of good refund policies and things like that. So we're kind of torn. But we're looking at, hey, if we're going to self-fund this game, we're going to need to have a marketing budget. We're going to need extra money to help support this thing. If that 30% no longer gives you a lot of marketing, that's a huge problem for us because if we do our own platform, we can use all that money for marketing, for development, mm-hmm. for putting ourselves out there, right? So um, that's kind of the decision point. If I scroll down a little bit, um, mm-hmm. we can talk about costs, right? So. Mm-hmm. we can do payment processing for our platform in 2.5% plus 30 cents, the cost of buying the game, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like 30%. You know, we have Unreligion royalties, 5%, but, um, you know, that brings it under just under Epic's, Epic's royalty share. Uh, you can, you have to pay some bandwidth costs like 5 to $10 a terabyte for downloads, mm-hmm. but you get a whole chunk of money you can spend on making your game better or more sustainable or stuff like that. Yeah. That's if you can get the people, right? If you yeah, can't get the adoption, it's actually going to be a lot worse than launching on another platform. Yeah. When we originally started, Epic Game Store didn't exist, mm-hmm. right? So there just wasn't even a thing, right? If you know, if they existed, maybe we would think about it, but there's also the, the backlash that was associated with it that we didn't want to mm-hmm. be directly associated with it yet. And the, the features like modding and stuff don't exist on the Epic Game Store yet. So we really got like a weird use case where we're trying to be cross-platform modding and all these tools that don't exactly work on other platforms as well. Yeah. They could work, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do have, anyone have any questions before I move on? Um, I, I have a few uh, platform-related questions, I guess. Sure. If you want to go over, uh, I can either give them to you now or you can go through the rest of the screen, whatever you prefer. Okay, I can go, I can go a little bit more. So another one was Google Play, right? So... Google Play is great and awesome, but there's also a lot of saturation and duplicated apps. And uh, this 30% fee, generally you get support, marketing, payment processing, and everything in it. If the platform's really big and really popular, you don't get much support, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, I message Google Play and I'm like, hey, I'm having this problem with my app's version number or something like that, some version code problem. And they're like, hey, we can't help you. You need to delete your app and remake it. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's not great. So I, so I sent him an email back and I'm like, I fixed it. I just launched off Google outside of Google play and I have 30% more money. Right. So, uh, you know, Google play and stuff's great, but the, the support and use cases didn't fit up with what we're trying to do. So nothing wrong with any of these platforms. Just, we wanted to try something different. It could work. It might not work. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Do uh, you have anything else uh, on the screen share? Shall we? Uh, well, I was going to talk about the launcher and stuff of the development of how it started, but we okay. can. All right. Uh, we can go. I can go over this through quick. You have questions. So, we actually. I went through. I have a developer who works on our launcher in addition to the game. So it's not just me making everything. Mm-hmm. And so, we made our decision. Hey, we're going to try and make a platform, right? And 
we started prototyping out how this thing's going to look. And this is a screenshot grab from Discord. If every time we've either done something or had a problem, we posted a screenshot. So I just went through the history and grabbed all this, right? So you can see, you know, there's initial concept. You start scrolling down. You start seeing, like, things fitting in place, for example. Uh, you start seeing updating. You start seeing options. Um, you start seeing news feeds appear. And you, as you can see, like, it doesn't just make a thing and it's done. This is, like, over a year we went through whole iteration cycles of how do we want the launch to look and is it going to be familiar and easy to use, right? So the goal is make it easy enough to use um, where there's no friction between people, right? So we can control the buying experience. We control the experience from when you buy the game to playing the game to you quit playing the game, like the whole process. If you have an issue, we can fix it. If like, something goes down, it's our fault. It's not Steam's fault. It's not Epic's fault. It's not Cloudflare's fault, yep. for example. It's our fault. So we take on all the responsibility, but we get greater control on those kind of things, right? If there's a problem mm-hmm. we're trying to fix. This is just on mobile, you know, as we've progressed, we got it on Mac. You know, one of the important things was getting the game on as many mm-hmm. platforms as possible. You can see, like, it progressing over time, Get icons getting in. We eventually got up to these kind of styles and eventually you know if you can see the current launcher if we go down a little bit news feeds got added in Mm -hmm. this is when we launched our crowdfunding of of how it looked and this is when we started our crowdfunding you can either back on our store or back on indiegogo we kind of had both one of the reasons why we went on indiegogo was you don't have a lot of credibility if you just like put a crowdfunding page up or make your own so we wanted to have another option for people, right? Because mm-hmm. just buying a game on a random store, you're like, well, am I going to get refunded? Is this legitimate? Uh, less sense activation, and this is the current state of where we're at now. Mm-hmm. But if you just go on to go into questions, uh, sure. Okay. All right, let me get back here. And I'll pull this back up here one second. There we go. All right, so I have a few questions. I'm sure we'll get some more from chat. I see Shari asked one. So I guess one thing that I was thinking about, again, you said in terms of development that you started the game about two years ago. How long have you been working on the launcher itself for? So we we had a game called Breaking Point that we're working on. That It's a bigger scope of a game, so it's like a survival game kind of thing. And we didn't really have the budget to finish it, so we wanted to move, pause it and move over to a smaller game. And because we're thinking in the multi-game territory, we're thinking about, okay, if we make this platform, it's going to be for multiple games. Okay. If you're making one game, it's incredibly not worth it to just make a whole platform for one game, right? Yeah. So we're, we're thinking over the next decade, all these costs and benefits added up kind of thing. So we're thinking multiple games, shared platform, shared purchases, so it started making more sense. So the platform's about two years. Path of Titans is about a year. Okay. And that kind of answers Shark's questions as well. That, oh, actually, will there be any thoughts about making the launcher like public or allowing people to make use of so the code? We have thought about it, right? So some some options we've thought about was what if we we could either provide a solution for our platform to give to other developers, like hey. Here's our platform. 
you can license it for this much and you can mm-hmm. either get your own launcher and your own games and host it all yourself or hey you can go on our platform right but the as soon as you start getting into the platform wars you start competing with steam and epic and valve and we're not necessarily interested in competing against them mm-hmm. like you know for the launcher we have connor like battle.net they have 21 people right so it's like it's that kind of a scale of a problem yeah. we also didn't want to necessarily completely move away from game development like if we we would probably move over to being a like being more like valve only making steam yeah. and not making games and i love making games so i didn't necessarily <laughs> want to move over to something i didn't want to actually do right yeah, and everyone is still... We're all still waiting for Half-Life 3 at some point, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, Valve makes really amazing games, you know, but, like, the obviously, Steam's a really big thing, and that's kind of, like, taken over yeah. priority. Mm-hmm. So, I guess a few questions for me. Uh, earlier, or a few minutes ago, you mentioned, of course, one of the challenges of having a launcher in terms of, kind of, like, consumer loyalty. And I think that's a very interesting challenge. It's one that, again, that we're seeing kind of being developed over the Epic and Steam debate. That if I really like all the features on Steam, and your game is only available on Epic or Origin or whatever other platform, and you don't have those features, you know, even if your game is good, it still feels like you're getting the raw end of the deal. Exactly, right? So one of the approaches is like Subnautica took, which was like, release your game on as many platforms as possible that's it on all of them right that's probably the best choice for the consumer it's on everything it's great um but you have a lot of work as a developer okay if you for a multiplayer cross-platform game okay the updates on steam but it's not on epic yet or the updates on console but it's not on steam yet and we have to as developers sync up every single version of the game Mm -hmm. to be in sync right so like, for example, if we release it on Discord as well, we now have to release updates on Discord and have to be exactly in sync with our launcher mm-hmm. or Steam or Epic, and then you can have a worse experience, right? So one of the problems we had was with Steam was uh, when an update came out, not everyone saw the update right away. People, like, sp- spamming our announcements, like, hey, where's the update? Where's the update? Where's the update? Oh, restart Steam, try to do this, try to do that mm-hmm. uh, in the future. We can actually have the update, like Battle.net, you pre-download the update before it comes out, and then it's synchronized, and then everyone can play without having to download it. Another concept was we can patch the game without you needing to restart it. So like a hot reload kind of situation where we can patch a new dinosaur in with our platform and launcher. You don't actually log out, restart the server, restart the game kind of thing. And it's pretty standard for okay, you can't change the game files because Steam's using them, right? So mm-hmm. the approach we're taking is we can make the experience better for our game. That kind of approach. If it was worse, why would you buy a game? You'd just be like, well, it's not on Steam. I don't want to buy it, right? Yeah. And uh, getting to your point about supporting multiple platforms, I remember this was a very big issue Payday 2 ran into, that when they moved over to the console side, the console was always dragging behind the PC version. I mean, yes. not like a few weeks. I mean, it was like several months of content. Yeah, so the, the problem with that is you have to pass certification when yeah. you patch your game, right? And that could take a month or whatever it is. It could take mm-hmm. two months, right? You have to book in weeks in advance. Well, it depends on what console you're using and mm-hmm. what their policies are. Um, so that's a huge problem. 
the way we see it is we need to organize our patches and synchronize everything up, right? If cross-platform players to work, if one day you can't play with PC people, we could have a million players on PC. Suddenly the servers are empty because there's not enough players, right? So, mm-hmm. And some people feel like they're getting the short end of the stick where the DLC is only on one platform yeah. or any of that stuff. So we want to synchronize everything up and be able to integrate, you know, if we do console like xbox for example sign into our platform through xbox you get everything kind of like how epic games works right now Mm -hmm. and again like these are issues that a lot of people i think don't necessarily think about when they're sitting to one platform or again multiplayer being you know you have the xbox multiplayer version you have the ps4 multiplayer version you have the pc multiplayer version and that's it yeah, exactly. But it's also split up between stores. So, yeah. like, if you're on, I think it's, uh, I can't remember the name, but I think it's, like, uh, one of the indie platforms. You just upload a zip file, right? Mm-hmm. On Steam, you have to run a commandlet. On Discord, you uploaded it through <laughs> some website panel. On Epic Games, it's probably uploaded differently. And they all have different versions. So you might spend two weeks of your time trying to sync up all the, like, the patch is done, critical bugs fixed. <laughs> How do we actually get it out to everybody? What happens if Discord stops working one day? What are we going to do, right? Mm. How do we even give you it on Discord for free if you already own it somewhere else, right? Like, how do we give it for free on Discord if you've bought it on Steam? It's like, well, we can't. We could give you a Steam key, but it doesn't work for everything. So the bit we see is better experience, shared purchases. Mm -hmm. You buy it once, you kind of have it everywhere kind of thing. Yeah. Now, here's a question that I'm uh, curious about. I'm sure some of the developers watching are as well. With developing the launcher itself, were there any aspects of developing it that didn't seem like hard to start, but proved to be a lot more challenging as you try to implement it? So, um, one of the bits is obviously patching. Patching games is hard, right? So, somebody could, you know, be on a remote island somewhere with a kilobyte download and they're trying to download your game and you need a bad account for that right like you need to you have to collect a lot of data on this person can't patch how do i fix it so there's a lot of things like that but once you once you get it working generally it's okay you don't have to touch it too much but you need to make sure that your downloads are fast in all the regions someone's in china they can still log in they can still download it really fast like all the regions everything works localization all that kind of things Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other things. Another thing was um, uh, make it like people on old Windows versions, right? So the problem with <laughs> Windows is my, you don't actually every single wi- uh, Windows 10 version isn't the same, right? So you might be on 1703. This guy might be on 1709. This guy <laughs> might be on 1803. This guy might have ray tracing with 1809 or something different, right? So synchronizing windows versions isn't a thing so your game might work on one and might break on another and that's a problem even if you're not launching on your own platform so you might set up a bunch of computers or virtual machines to run your game on as many things as possible make sure it actually works for people mm-hmm. and again like these are all very very complicated challenges that you don't really think about especially for a lot of the devs again one of the best things about using something like Steam was the very fact that it takes care of a lot of that stuff for you. You don't need yes. to worry about patching or worrying about so you just give it to Steam and then it delineates the patch out. 
Not yeah. so much when you're doing your own thing. So the cool thing about Steam is you just upload the patch, it just works, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But we can actually optimize that experience. So maybe the patch isn't de- like maybe the patch is downloaded while you're playing the game in the background and it's installed and you don't actually even restart the game. Right? Like that's a lot more work and that's harder, but that's just the it's a little bit better user experience. If you're mm-hmm. not interested in doing that, then Steam works fine, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I think all there's rest- payment processing <laughs> refunds. Maybe we can talk about. So, um, yeah. so positive is we can refund people for any reason. Like we have full control over refunding people, right? So if somebody's credit cards declined or someone wants a refund, they could have two thousand hours in the game. We could still refund them if we want to, right? If they're like, I'm truly unhappy. You change your end user license agreement. Generally. You know, you get better reviews and better user experience. You just give them the money back, right? Like mm-hmm. twenty bucks is nothing to you, but it's everything to someone who bought the game. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you get what I mean, right? If you've got millions of dollars, ten unhappy people, once they're refunded, they go away. They don't keep complaining. Screw these developers. They took my money. X Y Z. Like that's a solvable <laughs> problem to people. If you're on Steam, it's kind of like, hey Valve, could you please refund this person? And that's a whole thing. Like to mm-hmm. hope they actually get refunded and things like that. Oh, yes. And one thing that we were talking about uh, on our message that I think a lot of people don't also think about is the fact that when you're dealing with returns and refunds on your own side, you're also having to manage you know, issues such as international currency, exchange rates. And yeah, that's so a very big regional deal. pricing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think we had a dev cast about this a while ago, but France was like, okay, you can't do region blocking or something like that or you, you, you know or mm-hmm. Europe's like oh we want our customers or, or, or citizens to be able to buy the game for the same price in the other region and it's like well suddenly I can't do your regional pricing for Europe mm-hmm. you know I can for Russia but mm-hmm. you know so it's hard and the problem with like supporting someone like Russia is it's the the, the lowest currency like you get the least amount of money because of the conversion rates you know if mm-hmm. you price your game at what they sell and bandwidth is the highest price in russia so the u.s people pay you the most amount of money but you have the lowest costs in the u.s right so really that u.s player base is really paying for other people to run the game on the platform kind of thing and valve just kind of like takes care of that Mm-hmm. and again like these are things that it's one of the reasons why for a lot of developers they don't think about doing their own platform or their own launcher yeah, they don't even think about it being as option as like something you could even do. But you know, the experience we're trying to create is if you have two games on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. You release game A, you release game B. It's hard to have a shared community or play base between these two games, right? Unless you like patch the game and you put an announcement, "Hey, check out game A," right? But mm-hmm. the moment we have our own platform, you know. It's not Steam users we're talking about. We're talking about our customers, right? Mm-hmm. So we have full control over giving them the best experience. Like they're ours. Like they don't disappear into the void, right? <laughs> like a a customer on Google Play, for example, you don't know who they are. You don't have their email address. You don't know how to contact them. You don't know how to help them. Some of your support requests go through Google and not you. So it's it's <laughs> it's more direct. You're selling to your customer, kind of kind of ways of solving the problem. 
I think since Oliver came in late, um, with he asked a gameplay related question: Will fishing come out before pre-release, and will you be able to fully play the game in the pre-release? Um, yeah, so fishing obviously will be out before the pre-release. The pre-release is more kind of like a beta, but it's mm-hmm. it's focused on all those gameplay problems we spent the first hour talking about, right? So we actually mm-hmm. need to have people play the game, catch the problems, solve them. Uh, another uh, problem I have with some games is they have a beta, and if the beta is a week before the game comes out, right? And it's like, how do you expect to fix anything <laughs> a week before the game comes yep. out. It's a marketing beta. It's not the actual beta, right? So if you remember Fallout 76, beta's a week before it came out or something like that, and everything's broken in the beta, bad impression. Everything's broken in the release, bad impression. You've just achieved nothing. Yep. But if the release is like two months away, for example, you can get a lot of stuff fixed in two months that mm-hmm. you know a marketing beta doesn't solve. Yep. So that's the idea with that kind of strategy where... We have a real beta. It's not for marketing. It's for fixing problems, making the game as best as we can before it actually comes out. Because mm-hmm. uh, another problem with the multiplayer game is when you release your game in early access, for example, you have split your game development costs in two, right? So you have one group of people that has to maintain the live version of the game and another group mm-hmm. of people would have to make new content, right? So if somebody comes in your game and maybe they hack the game and spawn in sheep or something, mm-hmm. you have to still work on expansion content and then go fix those problems and then come back. And then all your players are upset. Either the hacking issue is not fixed or there's no new content. So you actually have to split into two different teams, right? Yep. So doing an early access can actually be a negative thing because it can split up all your resources to you're now maintaining a service and making the rest of the game or finishing the game. Yeah. And uh, getting back to talking more about the platform itself, yep. um, one thing I wanted to push on, or one thing I wanted to elaborate for people watching, as you said, like when you were coming up with the idea for doing your launcher, you also want you were thinking about this long term. That's not just going to be for one game; it's going to be for multiple ones. I guess. Yeah, so, the marketing problem <laughs> is like you spend so much money marketing to get one person and then they go away and you have to respend that to get another person. If you have these people, you know, in your walled garden or in your circle or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they're repeat customers. They like, Oh, they value your games. And there's a, there's a whole different relationship created. So that's what I'm thinking long-term. Like if I do like the next, my next 10 games, this is all pay off, right? Mm-hmm. Doing one game, I'm probably just going to probably be a net loss. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking that um, for, for developers watching this or making their own games, like if they're just focusing on one single title or one single kind of content like that, it probably would be better to use one of the established engines or one of the established platforms. Yeah, exactly. But if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to be making games in the next decade, long term, it might actually be better to invest mm-hmm. in reusable, reusable technology. Right, so that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're doing is we're investing in our future with all this technology because it it doesn't pay for itself right away. Like it's a no. really long term investment, and it can be a lot better long term, but it's it's not good short term. If you're just making one game, mm-hmm. if it's your first game, like do not do this. Like <laughs> it won't work out. But if you're like, I don't have you heard of Crashlands at all? 
I think I've heard of the game, I don't think I've played that one. So there's a group of, of developers called Butterscotch Shenanigans who make a game called Crashlands. Okay. And they make a bunch of games. And they haven't made their own platform, but they made a system called sorry, uh, Bscotch ID, right? Where mm-hmm. you could log into all their games using their kind of login system. And they shared like cloud saves between platforms and all these other features they give you. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to create a experience for people as in repeat customers, right? Like if someone's bought your last game and they know you're a good developer, they're most likely going to buy your next game. Right. And, you know, if you can contact those people, if you can give them a really good experience, you can save so much marketing money and so much resources mm-hmm. trying to get access to people. Like if you look at f- platforms like Facebook, for example, you pay money to send messages to your own followers. You know what I mean? Like, how much of your own followers do you want to see this thing? And that's where the real struggle comes in. But if we have more control over it, we can be like, hey, do you like Dinosaur Game? Try our next game that mm-hmm. plays an animal, plays a wolf, or plays something else that's related to that first game. We suddenly have a whole ecosystem of people who like our games. And that gives you a much better reputation as a developer where you make one game, people play it, it's good, bad, maybe they forget you exist kind of thing. And as a quick time check, we are just about to hit two hours in. My voice is actually starting to die. One second. <laughs> so I think we'll begin to wrap things up in maybe like the next 10 or so minutes. So for the chat watching, I'm going to be putting out officially last call for any questions for everyone here regarding the launch. If you have any more questions for design-wise on Path of Titans, uh, feel free to ask. But again, this will be last call. So... Uh, getting back to the launcher itself. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, this is a question that Shark brought up. How does it work on mobile? Is it just an app on the App Store? Yeah, so the the current approach we want to do is mobile. We originally wanted to launch on Google Play, and then we found out that we get zero support on Google Play <laughs> uh, for, you know, the scale we're at. Maybe for, like, a really big game, we'd get, like, you know, here's your assigned contact person to help you. But we don't have that yet, so... What we're actually looking into is current plan is the game is a self-updating APK. So you download the game, you can open the game, and the game self-updates. There's no like mobile launcher, right? Okay. We could do one, or we could move that into the future, but uh, and and until there's a really huge need for it yet, we don't have that yet. But the good thing is the platform we can. Um, we can reuse so much stuff for the mobile version. So we can have you log in with the same account. You can log in exactly where you were as the same dinosaur, you know, and play and play <laughs> as you were. Yeah. And again, like stuff like that, I only that's currently available on Steam. And yeah. as you said, like a big part about this was the fact that you want essentially complete control over the launcher, complete control over the features set in it. Yeah, so we can come up with new features that steam can't really do because like for example maybe the steam version of your game gets a feature but the discord version doesn't (laughs) right so that's the that's a huge problem where all the all the features that our pc players get mobile players get too you know because like you know steam might have steam achievements google play might have google achievements or something like that we could just have our own achievements it just works everywhere right Mm mm-hmm uh, let's see. Uh, the Vitsky asks, are you thinking about having Beasts of Bermuda on the launcher? Um, 
I think we want to focus on our own games right now and see 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 how well, how well they do and if they're successful. I mean, if other developers want us to help them out, we can totally look into it. But um, mm-hmm. if you're a game on Steam, it's a little bit more work to get up to feature parity, right? So mm-hmm. you would have to do a lot more integrations on that. Because, like, for example, if someone you have a mod and someone uploads it to Steam Workshop, mm-hmm. it's in the license agreement where you can't download that on a console right and mm. i've spoken to people at valve about this and they said we don't actually have a problem with consoles using our workshop yet but we haven't got the relationship or haven't developed it out with other mm. console manufacturers yeah. so you have a problem where all these things are in this platform and they can only be accessed on that actual um platform yeah. but for us because we don't use like steam mods you upload a mod to us we can give it on your phone we can give it on console we can give it on pc mm. and Another problem people had with Steam's when I was a modder was the license agreement for the mod gives Steam heaps of rights for your mod, right? Mm-hmm. They take they reserve every single right. Our modding agreement's going to be a little bit different where we don't own your mod or we don't reserve... We only reserve the minimum amount of rights necessary to host your mod, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, in the Armour community, I had a problem where people didn't want to upload their mod to Steam Workshop because suddenly Valve would own their mod now. You know, yeah. so we want to protect mods a little bit more where you own your mod, not us, right? That kind of thing. If we want to do something like paid mods, for example, or donate, you can donate, get access to a mod, we could do that. Could be a good idea, could be a bad idea, but we have the flexibility to add that in and it's now on all the platforms, right? So yeah. you might, making games is actually financially harder, but if you're <laughs> making mods, you could get paid for your work. Mm-hmm. That might be a sustainable job to actually do right yeah and going back to your point about kind of each platform having like its own different you know way of doing things i guess one question for you like obviously you've been developing the launcher for path of titans like have you spoken like have you actually had like a conversation with each one of the platform uh platform makers in terms of you know the fact that hey we're putting this game on there but we have our own launcher like plan for it yeah so We've talked to you know a couple of the uh, the other platforms. Mainly, it's like console and things like that. But basically, you need to make sure, like, hey, can we do this integration? Like, basically, all these platforms generally have an API you can connect to. So, like, Steam has an API, and iOS has an API, and stuff like that. And generally, you're like, hey, can we do this shared integration? They like say yes or no, or you can change some things. So, currently, shared purchases can work on. Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, and Android. Like, we've checked it all. It's all okay. Consoles we're looking into, but as soon as we figure that out, I'm hoping they let us and we can just do shared purchases on everything. And that would be awesome. That would be like a a new standard buy game and you have it everywhere. You know what I mean? That's like a... Mm -hmm. It's a huge barrier because, for example, for Xbox, you can only do a shared purchase if they buy it on the Microsoft Store, right? And we all know that as great as Microsoft is, Steam's better than the Microsoft Store, like in features mm-hmm. and frame rate and settings and things like that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that point because I think that's going to be whenever we're talking about having your own exclusive platform or launcher. I think that's always going to be one of those hills you have to climb is convincing people, hey, you know, use this launcher. Why should I use it when I have Steam? Why I have Epic or whatever. Yeah, so the the approach we kind of take to that is 
we're we're using this for games we make or own so for example unless we put our game on steam you can't buy it on steam right so mm-hmm. if you if you care about the game enough you'll you'll download our launcher to play it we'll make mm-hmm. it as easy as possible for you to get it if you don't care about our game enough to download something like it may not be a you know a, a, a interested customer anyway right if you download it and you have a terrible experience like let us know we'll refund you and you can uninstall it right but the idea is we do want to be pro-consumer as much as possible right Mm if um yeah so that's that's Mm -hmm. basically the goal right if you're doing an epic game store where you're pulling exclusives from other platforms and people are being lied to they're upset right so if you go look at youtube comments for some of the games they're like if it's on epic i won't buy it like i'd rather buy a console and buy the game on console to you know not not spend money but the the data really shows that if customers care about your game they'll download the platform and if we can make it as easy as possible for you to install uninstall and use they're okay with it if it's hard and it's difficult and broken so like rockstar games for example where they retroactively re-added their launcher to previous games mm-hmm. where people can't launch the game because the launch is broken that really pisses people off and you really lose customers and we're really aware of of not doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was me, but also my system decided to start popping things up while we're in the middle of the chat. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. And that, I think, is very tricky, like, when you're trying to have all this stuff going on with these different platforms. <laughs> I know, it just yeah. completely like, threw me off my game there. But there is one thing that I wanted to bring up with regards to having your own platform that I'm sure somebody has already, somebody's probably already asked you with the game itself I want to bring up here. Are you going to have any kind of copy protection on your own launcher? Um, is that like DRM? Yeah. So the, the way we see it is... With the the only minimal DRM that's needed is some kind of like basic authentication check, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that Steam does, right? Really basic stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like Denuvo or other hard forms of DRM. Yeah. We just don't want to go anywhere near. We don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole, right? So like, mm-hmm. we don't see any of that kind of stuff. Like it ruins the performance of games. It causes a bunch of problems. It causes like people can't like you can launch the game without the launcher, for example, right? So you can not have the launcher open and launch the game directly and just log in through the game and play the game still without it even running, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not even a Rockstar game situation where you launch the game and it forces you to launch the launcher and then you can only play through that. We, you know, some people might just want to keep it closed for performance reasons or some other reason, but you can totally do that and it still works, right? The launch is more of like a convenience thing for like updating Mm -hmm. the game and stuff like that. Yeah. And in terms of piracy... Uh, I'll let I'll let you talk, but I wanted to talk about piracy on mobile real quick um, because okay. I think there was like Android piracy rate is like ninety percent, and I think it's like thirty to forty percent on iOS. So that's like some really interesting thing to talk about. But uh, go on. I was just about to say the whole point about copy protection again. That is another major factor that has become one of those things people talk about that you really do have to consider when you're trying to release your game. Yeah, and I think um, Epic Game Store has a couple of problems right now mm-hmm. where you can copy and paste a game to another folder, log out of the Epic Game Store, mm. log in with an account that doesn't own the game, and it just works, you know, accidentally. So it is something to think about. Another problem I want to bring up is if you have a mobile game, for example, and 
the mobile game downloads like additional content from a remote server or something like that, if you have 90% piracy rate on the mobile version, for example, pirates can actually cost you four times the amount of money uh, for bandwidth costs. Oh, jeez. From the, from the online service, right? So if you have a single-player game, if it's pirated, they use Torrent or something like that, and it costs you nothing. Like, piracy costs you nothing, you know, if you're not including the missed sales thing, right? Yeah. If you have an online service game, piracy could cost you in bandwidth and hosting and other fees for your online service where mm-hmm. you might actually lose four times the amount. You get a server bill four times the amount of income you've had, yeah. right? And- so that's important to us, and... Yeah, go on. I was going to say, in another possible issue, again, because of the fact that you're supporting cross-platform play, if one of those platforms isn't secure, somebody could, let's say, download like the mobile version, hack or crack it, give them all kinds of features and additional uh, options, and then lo- logs onto the PC version, and then completely wreck things there for people. Yeah, like they could root their phone or something like that, or yeah. you could have... Um somebody cheat and affect the experience of a console user right and yeah. consoles traditionally pretty locked down in terms of cheating and stuff like that you know like mm-hmm. very locked experience and hard to cheat on right so one of the other things is just making sure that doesn't happen and we have it easy because we're doing a multiplayer game if you have yeah. a single player game that piracy stuff is really hard to patch and the mm-hmm. solution to piracy is make your gameplay experience better than the pirated version, right? If you use Denuvo or some other DRM thing, if the, the, the DRM version runs slower, you've lost all of your customers, right? Like, or, or worse, the launcher doesn't even, right? So they pirate the game, like a Rockstar game or something. <laughs> launcher doesn't work, and we're going to pirate it now. When I would have bought it, that's not including the I didn't want to buy it people that wouldn't buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. And again, like that's always been one of the major points when we talk about launchers and quality protection is that a lot of the consumers will turn away from these features, not because they don't want the game, because they don't want to deal with that additional hassle. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to try and launch it first mm-hmm. instead of just going on Steam. Because if, for example, if we had the launcher inside Steam, I feel like that'd be a terrible experience. Like we're all familiar with, you launch Steam and then Steam launches Uplay and Uplay launches the Epic Game Store. <laughs> yes. And then Rainbow Six Siege opens up or something like that. I'm sure we've all had that experience and that is really terrible and not fun. Mm-hmm. And a few questions from Chad. All of us has a multiplayer going to war. I, I'm not sure what that means. I mean, the game is going to be like online scale, so it's going to be just you know, connecting to the servers. And, so, yep. one interesting thing I can talk about multiplayer is there's two ways of designing it, right? So, if you, if you ever played a game that has a serverless model, yeah. right? And there's a model where is you don't have a serverless and you hit play and you get it and play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the solution we want to use for official servers is you might group up with your friends and you hit play, there's no server list. We'll figure out okay. what server has the lowest ping, what server your friends are on, mm-hmm. and put you on the best server. Right. Like we might want to spin up a server on demand because they all might be full, right? So that's yeah. a very player experience aware problem. Uh, if you have a serverless model, you have two hundred servers, you have one person on every single server, right? <laughs> yeah. If only those people were all on the same server you could actually have a game experience happen, right? So we selectively monitor the server's performance, like tick rate and stuff like that, and we try to put you on the best server because 
you're randomly clicking a name. You can't figure out where the server is or how well it's running, all these things. We can go figure that out for you and try to get you the best experience. And that's one of the main goals for official servers. And you also save a lot of money where you're not paying for servers you don't need. Uh, things like that you can solve a lot of problems with things yeah. like that and again like i guess going to like kyle's point like consoles don't normally deal with serverless you know you hit exactly. start take quick play bing bang boom you're playing a game with people and again like this is one of those very fascinating topics that i think as you were saying earlier regarding like using cross-platform play as kind of like the future for multiplayer it's going to be something that's going to come up more in conversation with developers trying to hit every platform available yeah so one of the problems like if you have a traditional survival game like DayZ, for example where you might join a specific server and you might have a loot crate on that server Mm -hmm. and the server goes down you can't access your loot crate stuff like that we really want to be changing the game design so this stuff is fault tolerant right so that loot crate can be transferred to another server if it goes down or you know, you can play on a different server if that stuff goes down. Because otherwise, the problem we have is if all your stuff is only on one server, if that server goes down, you've lost all your dinosaur, you've lost oh, yeah. your loot crate. And people get really pissed off. And that oh, server yes. might just be laggy. Mm-hmm. So the bit we change, intentionally change our game design where stuff can be moved between servers. So if you have a bad experience, you can move all your stuff to a different server seamlessly and... Mm-hmm. There's stuff you can't do if you do that kind of gameplay design, right? Where if you have like a Daisy scenario, you know, different servers have different economies of, of how much loot there is and how much money people have and things like that. So you have to specifically engineer your game in a way where multiplayer is fault tolerant. Yeah. So this server could be deleted, it could be spun up, you're not paying for it if it's empty. There's not like one person playing in 200 empty slots kind of thing. Yeah. And again, like, as we've said, like, over and over for the section, like, a lot of the issues that we're talking about, this is in a nutshell why people stay on Steam, or why they're looking at Epic to kind of handle all this, like, quote-unquote busy work for their game, and just focus on the design of it. But it is something that you really do have to think about if you're trying to go all-in on a multiplayer design. Yeah, exactly. And if you're going to do any cross-platform stuff, because, like, Mm -hmm. Epic's working on some cross-platform, cross-stuff, mm-hmm. cross-store purchase, uh, like, back-end stuff, but they don't have all the features in it yet. And if you need these features, if you need for you to log onto your phone and then log out and log into Steam, <laughs> or even sometimes you have to do these features even if you're on Steam, right? So Steam gives you limited amount of the stuff and it doesn't carry over to console, right? So if you want cross-platform, cross-progression stuff, you will either have to buy someone else's solution to this stuff, or you have to make some, make it yourself. Yep. And I think to Shark's question, so you're applying all the chests, loot drops, etc. to the player's save files, and then that's transferable to the other servers? Yeah, so what we, we have a system where all the official servers use a shared database, so everything can carry between them. Unofficial servers get their own database because they yeah. might change game balance. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. You, you don't you don't want somebody like editing their server and giving this dinosaur a thousand attack and running around and, and unlocking everything. Go right? to the official mode so, with that. Character. So like authority authority is a bit of a problem. So making mm-hmm. sure someone doesn't edit their server and get full everything. Like World of Warcraft don't doesn't let you host your own servers because somebody would edit it and be like, okay, when you log in, you get a billion gold. 
and then yeah. they go log on to the official server. So it's split there. But mm-hmm. if you're an unofficial server host, you can hive two unofficial servers together or three, for example. So they all connect to the same database. So you can build your own community around our game and host mm-hmm. your own server with your own rules and settings and stuff. And you can hive those servers yourself and we give you the tools to do that. Yeah. And it sounds like from talking with you, Michael, that uh, you've done a lot in terms of kind of like front loading some of these potential solutions and trying to figure out where all these problems were during development. And again, you really need to do that with a game like this, because as we've said many times over, like these issues, if they show up day one of launch, your game is pretty much going to be dead on arrival at that point. Yeah, so the the bit we figured out is we need to do simulated load tests of a million people, right? What happens if a million people try to download our game at the same time? What happens is everyone tries to log into the same server at the same time? Um, Because if your game, if people can't play for the first week, you're dead, right? Your game's only new once, and if people can't, like Diablo 3, Era 37, or something like that, it can kill off all of your sales for a multiplayer game, right? That you don't you're not fighting this issue when you're a single player. Um, and another problem we've engineered recently was DDoS protection. So, like, um, mm-hmm. we actually use a system similar to how Steam does relaying of network traffic where you can't DDoS a game server. You can only DDoS the, like, a, a proxy server or something like that between you and the game server. So we've thought about, like, people doing denial of service attacks and all sorts of different angles, uh, consumer privacy and all sorts of things to make sure that the game can be as stable as possible before launch. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Fang Grin asks, will it be possible to see all the stats on an unofficial server before you join? Yeah, so uh, one of the things I think a game called Squad does is they they pipe out a lot of server performance stuff to a server list. So we'll have a server list for unofficial servers. Okay. But we want to let you know, like, for example, someone might think that herbivores are stupid and they should only be running away from carnivores and that they're a food source and they're not like a valid class to play as, right? And they might edit their server and be like, okay, buff all the carnivores, nerf all the herbivores. If you go join that server, we need to let you know, hey, here's all the adjustments yeah. that made do you do you want to play on this thing right like this has the hello kitty rainbow adventure mod are you sure you want to play <laughs> on this stuff up because you could join it think it's the original game become invested and your experience is ruined you blame us the game not the unofficial server by default right so like mm-hmm. a lot of like you know super mario maker for example like some of the levels people go play someone's level and they just die every single second and they're like the game's terrible yeah, and they don't realize that hey, this is just a user-created level. This is not how we intended the game to actually. Be. And you got to warn people because your reviews will tank as well, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, and again, it's one of those things that you don't see a problem on the console side because there are no unofficial servers or unofficial games like that. Yeah, you can't host your own, you know, server on a console and have all these changes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, let me see. All right, I think we can begin to wrap things up. Is there anything regarding developing the platform or the launcher that we didn't touch on yet? Um, I I'll just say one thing: it's it's not cheap. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to pay somebody, like we've really spent, 
you know, almost as much money we've made on the crowdfunding on the platform. Mm-hmm. We haven't spent any of the crowdfunding money on the platform. That's all going into the game, but we spent our own finances on the platform beforehand kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so, th- so, th- so that's an important thing. It's expensive. <laughs> it's, do- it's doable though, right? Like people think that they need to have $100 million to do this thing. You don't need to. It depends on the scale of the game and what you're trying to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you might not even do a launcher. You might just do a um, a self-updating game, for example. That you just you add a, you might have a small indie game. Where you do a payment processor on your website. People download and play. You might do something small, but the option is there. For example, just to let people know. All right. Well, I think with that, since we are almost at two and a half hours in, I think this will probably be a good time to wrap things up. And again. The game is not even out yet, so it'll be great to catch up with you in a few months, especially once the game actually comes out for people to test and kind of see how things have changed or shifted when you have all eyes on the game. Yeah, we want to see, like, you know, how many people are like, oh, I don't want to download another launcher. How many people are like, oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. How many people are like, oh, this didn't work. You know, very interested in seeing how it works and team's working really hard to make sure that as much of it works before possible and Mm -hmm. doing because you can do a launch right and you can do a hard launch where everyone like million people play your game at once Mm -hmm. and you can do some kind of a soft rollout launch where you have so many few thousand people and you scale up kind of thing to make sure that it's actually tested yeah you know and actually doesn't catch fire Mm-hmm. That's very important. You want your game to get set on fire, people. There's your uh, final game dev tip for the cast. But, uh, Mike, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you this afternoon. And it definitely seems like you guys know what you're doing. You have a solid plan for you want Path of Titans to be. Yeah, we've spent like a number of years thinking about all of these things. You know, it's not, you know, I think people, they, they, underestimate how much work and planning you have to actually do to launch your own game or launch your own platform like there's so many things that for example you go play destiny for example and you're like well why does why what why if i buy a skin for my gun why does it do this and you have to understand that developers have thought about that for hundreds of thousands of hours Mm -hmm. or they might not have thought about it at all right and that's something to think about of like why they made this decision or why they did it in a certain way. So if you watch any of the other game wisdom streams and casts, you can dive into all those different decisions people make. Oh, yeah. And again, it's a fascinating topic. It's one that we never run out of topics when it comes to talking about game design. I mean, we even came with, I think, three or four like sub-podcasts uh, <laughs> things we could do in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We could talk about each one of those things, like we could talk about uh, Android piracy for like another three hours, for example, and solutions to that and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think with that, uh, before we get to my final question, for people watching us live record right now, if they want to follow the game or follow you on social media, uh, do you have any place you'd like to plug right now? Uh, just uh, pathotitans.com and elderandgames.com slash dot. And um, we're also working on hosting a podcast just about making the platform in our games just to give a a user audience a little bit behind the scenes of what problems we run into for example like when making a game you might find that 15 percent of your time is actually making the game and the rest is 
doing accounting and doing all these other random stuff that you didn't think you'd be doing <laughs> when you're actually making the game that making the game is actually a small part of the whole process you know there's everything else connected to that mm-hmm and again, all this stuff you don't really think about from the consumer side. And for a lot of first-time developers, they can easily be overwhelmed when it comes to these kinds of considerations. Yeah, you have to break it down to small manageable problems. You know, like one of the, <laughs> the problems we had was there's 22,000 Android phones, for example, right? Mm-hmm. We're targeting about 10,000 of them, right, out of the 22,000. And you might not be able to buy 10,000 different phones to test your game on every single one of them, right? So versus like iOS, there's like 10 or 20 or something like that. So things to think about when you're making your game um, (laughs) to make sure things work out. Mm -hmm. So I guess with that, my final question for you is, do you have anything you'd like to say to the fans watch? I know we have quite a few of them watching today live. But Again, have Wisdom to- fans or Path of Titans fans or both? <laughs> uh, I have my regulars, so we have a whole lot of yours on for the chat. So do you have anything you'd like to say to Ty Ribbon on our cast? Okay, so if you're interested in making your own game, you should definitely give it a shot. You should, like... Every, all the resources you need to make your own games or learn how to do this stuff is on YouTube, right? Like, you don't necessarily need a game development degree or all this other stuff. You can actually learn this stuff yourself, right? It's totally up to you. You actually have to put the effort in, right? Like, that's that's the important part. Like, values given out for free everywhere so often so much. Like, it's, it's never been easier to make a game, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you should definitely look into it. Um, and definitely don't make a really large game when you first start out. <laughs> yes. All right. So with that, we are going to wrap things up for the cast. Again, Michael, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Best of luck with Path of Titans. And I'm sure, again, we'll be talking in the future. Awesome. Thanks a lot. I'll catch you later. All right. So for everyone watching, we're going to end the cast here. If you're watching this live right now, be sure to check out our Discord and Patreon link down below. Come back for daily discussions on game design here and on game wisdom, worries of the art and science of games. You can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer. And we do our nightly streams around 9930 EST when we play games. But, oh, uh, one last question for you. Uh, regarding like your streams on YouTube, like when do you do your stuff? Um, we don't have set schedules, oh. but we pretty much do them every single day. Um, we do. We try to do a podcast episode like once every week or two weeks or something like that. But uh, basically, YouTube rewards daily content uploads, so everybody should take advantage of that and try to upload once a day if possible. All right. And if you are a developer working on your own game in the future or want to talk game design, we are always looking for future guests for our live and recorded casts. But that is going to do it for today. So once again, thank you everybody for coming out and hope to see you on future casts or our Discord channel. But until next time, have a great day.